Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Your Me? Your source for recaps, analysis, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Kennedy. I am your host, Jenny Carlson. And we are back in the saddle again for a big, big uh, Saturday night movie. yippee ki yay we go our way. So I want to say a thing before we start, and that is that I was really apprehensive about watching this movie, right? It was my least favorite. I think mm-hmm. it's a lot of people's least favorite. Um, but I have to say, uh, I, I knew this when we were watching Cobra Kai that they had that they had gone back and, and found a lot of plot material. I mean, obviously, I remember the beats of this film, but I am really impressed with how much the issues with this movie became plot points in Cobra Kai. And I'll return to that later. Probably won't be able to say much except for some Easter egg hunt references as we analyze the film on its own merit. But I just wanted to tag that and say, man, I had a much better experience watching this than I anticipated. Because I hate the villain and rarely see this film. Well, that's very kind and generous of you. And we'll do a much more in-depth review at the end. But I find this movie delightfully cheesy, even though it does kind of throw most of the beloved character uh, and development that we've gotten from the first two movies under the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh it does create for one of the most gloriously cheesy 80s of 80s movies, and I would recommend it for any sort of, like, uh, dumb movie night that you're having on Zoom these days. Yeah, it, it represents a kind of 80s movie that nostalgia for the 80s doesn't quite approximate or capture. Exactly. Like, you know, when when people talk about the 80s, they're either angry at a Ghostbusters reboot or they're in love with Stranger Things. But this is something else. This is a level of cheese that a lot of people want to forget but tells you a lot about the 80s. It does. So, without further ado, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Without further ado, let's jump into The Karate Kid. Part 3. The Legend of Terry's Gold. Start out with a familiar lady, the Columbia Pictures logo. She always makes me feel so good because I remember when I was three years old watching Annie and then later The Karate Kid. Give us your tired, your weary, your poor moviegoers yearning to breathe free. Your sad, lonely celluloid waiting to be shared. And now because it's the 80s, we are going to see a montage. Oh yeah, we get a little bit of previously on The Karate Kid. We see Daniel meeting Mr. Miyagi and learning about bonsai trees, of course. Bonsai trees. Mr. Miyagi giving Daniel his tinagui. And also, Daniel going into another dojo, the Cobra Kai dojo. We're getting all the beats that we need from the first two movies to help inform us going into the third one. I mean, we could just copy and paste our commentary from the previous two Karate Kid movies right in here, but I guess we won't do that. We will, uh, oh, I do like that the plaque on the outer door of Kreese's office just says Sensei. Does it really? Yes. Oh my gosh, I thought you were joking. <laughs> we have to get one of those for our house. I need that now. Yeah. We see all of the speech where Kreese is saying that the enemy deserves no mercy, and looking at Johnny as Johnny says that they're there. We see all of it, because they're setting up the rivalry between Kreese and Mr. Miyagi, also, the dynamic between Johnny and Daniel with a bully and an underdog, and Mr. Miyagi pushing back against Kreese, right? Too much advantage. Yo, dojo. This is all really important at this moment, actually. It says we're introducing Thomas Ian Griffiths as, with quote marks, Terry. I know. <laughs> Terry. 
And a special appearance by Martin Cove. I'll say it's a very special appearance by Martin Cove. Whenever that guy shows up, it's quite special indeed. Yes. Now we must flash to the tournament. We see Johnny Lawrence getting kicked in the nose and Daniel injured but fighting on. We see Kreese telling Johnny to do some dirty tricks. And as of the release of this movie, all these events are technically taking place three years ago. But no, I think in it's even real life. No, no, no. It's not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In real life, they're taking place three years ago. In movie time, they're taking place maybe three months ago. No, they're taking place five years ago because it goes 84, 86, oh. and then 89. Fair. But this is just last year for the people who live in the Miyagi-verse. And now, of course, we see the wind up to the crane kick. We hear Chris screaming, Mr. Miyagi nods, and Daniel looks truly menacing, and boom, chucks Danny, Johnny Lawrence in the nose, and Johnny crawls away. Uh, I've never seen anyone crawl on their face before that, and I never have since. I mean, I don't blame them. I would do the same. But, I mean, yeah, like, this little package is, like, the greatest hits of Karate Kid 1 and 2 on CD and cassette. You get all the classics, like, Sweep the Leg. Sweep the Leg. Get him a body bag. Get him a body bag! Yeah! Indeed. And also you get to see Kreese choking Johnny as Johnny turns beet red in the parking lot and Mr. Miyagi tells Kreese to let him go. And of course, Mr. Miyagi grabs Kreese from behind, frees Johnny. This is something I will never understand and it becomes a plot point so I feel justified in lingering on it for a moment, right? Mr. Miyagi dodges Kreese once. And makes Crease's knuckles bleed. Because Crease plunges his hand through a car window. Then he comes for Mr. Miyagi again, only for Mr. Miyagi to do the exact same dodge. Yes! Like, if Crease is truly that menacing, why does he seem kind of like, you know, Han Solo on a real dumb day? Laugh it up, fuzzball. That is a very good point. I, well, I think that's the thing, right? It's like this was intended to be the end of Karate Kid 1 and maybe as the end of Karate Kid 1 it's still a little bit of a first draft right mm-hmm. like it's fine at the beginning of Karate Kid 2 because it by ends the time the, you've yeah. gotten through all of Karate Kid 2 you barely remember this opening part and how weird it is well and it, it's worth noting that it ends with a joke with Mr. Miyagi honking Kreese's nose rather than actually knocking his you know, knocking him senseless <laughs> and of course that is worse than taking a punch right because it's shaming Mm-hmm. Right, so we can see that this is a shame dude down on his luck, as we do because now Kreese, looking mega hungover and unshaven, is wandering into his dojo, really actually kind of looking like Johnny Lawrence on That's a down true. day. Yeah, he is definitely looking like Johnny Lawrence on a down day, and man, the the Cobra Kai dojo is not looking great, despite it only having been a few months in Miyagi verse time. In Miyagi verse time, since the tragic defeat at the All Valley Tournament, but apparently that was enough to turn the fortunes of the entire dojo on their ear and basically make it so that Kreese is now officially down on his luck. Though not too down on his luck to straighten his military karate champion framed picture, right? Right. And he goes to the office, and man, again, like... This lingering in the office with the blinds and everything, it is very Cobra Kai in its way. Oh, yeah, no, Johnny was definitely thinking of this 
And I completely understand that instinct. Like, this was the model that he used for his dojo when it was time for him to build his dojo. Because in a weird, twisted way, like, this is probably one of the happiest times that Johnny had as a teenager, right? Right up until he got his face punched in. While Kreese is sitting in his office, he first has a voicemail from Pat Johnson, the referee, saying, Sorry, you lost all your students. Guess we'll drop you from the membership roles of the All Valley. And then also... Pat Johnson here. I've got some exposition for you. He also gets a call from a bill collector... Setting up some of the same exact plot arcs. Johnny's apparent loserdom and down on his luckness is a shared trait with John Kreese, who we now see at a vaguely Asian mansion, very kind of like Asian brutalist mansion. Uh, we're up in the hills now. I guess if Cobra Kai was down in Reseda, we're now uh, up in the Los Angeles hills and we're at a nouveau riche, you know, L.A. mansion with you know, kind of weird Aztec, quasi, you know, Amazon brickwork, maybe, you know, it looks... If it, if they made Inception in the 80s, it would be shot here. It's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a Los Angeles mansion, so it's either someone production designed it or a production designer was also an architect but in hollywood right it's like one all one in the same meanwhile there's a guy in a, a a silken looking gi with a cobra on the back a cobra kai cobra and a little coke dealer ponytail going on and his name is terry silver as we're about to find out uh crease has arrived and is going to give him the keys saying he will pay in the back rent as soon as possible terry has been has been wailing on some dudes uh training and meanwhile he's He's having issues with his plutonium business. He, oh, he dumps nuclear waste. That's right, because he's the CEO of Dynatox, right? That's right. So he's signing off on some papers and telling Kreese, don't worry, your business is just in a slump. Yeah, he grabs Kreese around the shoulder in his luxurious silken Cobra Kai gi. It is truly something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, now they're on the balcony overlooking the uh, L.A. skyline. Uh, and, uh, and apparently, so... Terry was the landlord for Cobra Kai and Kreese was just renting from him? Yeah, they go way back, you know? And so so yeah. Terry informs Kreese that he's not, you know, he's not out. He's just on his way to Tahiti to take a break. And now as he's driving Kreese to the airport, he's explaining all the ways that he's going to make them suffer. And suffer and suffer. And when I think they've suffered enough, then I start with the pain. Because yeah. it's not over. They're Cobra Kai. And he has to say it. What do you say when you're Cobra Kai? Say it, Cobra Kai. Never dies. You bet your ass. So, you know, Kreese is saying, I owe you. Terry's saying, you don't owe me anything because of Vietnam. So I don't quite know what happened in Vietnam. Now, that might be the prequel we all needed. There's a whole separate, like, war movie that these two experience. (laughs) I mean, hopefully one day we'll get to see it. Maybe. Um, Like, like, these guys lived like a platoon. I had no pain in my neck, man. Feeling good's good enough. Or an apocalypse now. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. And like, I could, I could definitely see the the prequel, right? Where it's like, Terry's like the rich kid that like doesn't know what the f- he's doing. And... Wait, hang on, I have to interrupt you because now that Kreese has gone into the airport looking on his way to relaxation, we have Daniel and Mr. Miyagi emerging from the same airport. Ah, smog. Smells like home, huh, Mr. Miyagi? <laughs> That's right. So this all takes place concurrently. Having just seen the intro package doesn't do Ralph a lot of favors because it's like you can clearly see that he's grown like a foot. He's out of high school now. 
they are now heading to the um, South Seas apartment complex only to find out that because it is the 80s, they are being renovated, demolished, something, they will be transformed into the Reseda Hills condominiums. And then at some point between then and 2015, they will get remodeled back into the South Seas apartments, apparently. <laughs> Mrs. Milo and her dog are outside, and it looks like they're they're put out of a home. She's got to find another place. You know, she says that she knew all along progress. Uh, she also tells Daniel that that she's got a message from her mother, and that she said, "Did she didn't didn't I tell you that Bum would sell that place?" I love this because they clearly just brought her back to have her on. Mm-hmm. She's convenient exposition. Anyway, she's telling Daniel to call collect at his uncle Louis, but it's so neat to see her there because it just reminds me that John Avildsen was so into Frank Capra, who would always work with the same people and bring them back to have that ensemble vibe. So just That's to see true. her get that little scene is really fantastic. Yeah, they were real Mercury players, these guys. Meanwhile, they've gone to Mr. Miyagi's room there, and they're on the phone with uh, Randy Heller, with Lucille, who is with a c- almost comically coughing Uncle Louie. Yeah, so this is the Uncle Louie that we've heard so much about. Unfortunately, so much. he's doing pretty poorly. He's got a bad case of emphysema and doesn't look like he's going to do very well. But again, this just gives Lucille a convenient excuse to call in absent to the movie where she's like, well, you know, Daniel, you could stay with Mr. Miyagi. He's he's your ersatz dad now. So Wait, have fun. They're also setting up that Kumiko is not coming. Oh, that's true. Because apparently she got this great job with a dance company in Tokyo and just couldn't say no. Things, That's true. Life moves pretty fast in the Miyagi-verse. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. But they don't have a lot of time to talk to Lucille because Uncle Louis, again, is coughing unto death. Man, Uncle Louis really selling it back there. I know. Uh, but sadly, that is the last we will see of those two. Uh, it's time to grab our bonsai trees and hit the road. Yeah, Daniel's grabbing these bonsai trees. and They're loading up the back of Mr. Miyagi's truck. And Mr. Miyagi looks genuinely forlorn about the situation, which I understand. Again, it's the 80s, and I'm not really sure what's left of the uh, social net that was set up during the New Deal and the Great Society. But Mr. Miyagi's looking around. Uh, his, his bamboo chimes are going off above him. And, man, this looks like a big room when there's nothing in it. He's got one little bonsai tree left, though. Bonsai tree. One tiny, tiny bonsai tree. Bonsai tree. I think we might uh, break the Mr. Miyagi uh, bonsai tree machine. Also, we keep saying it throughout the whole movie. His bonsai tree. Bonsai tree. That he's this last bonsai tree that he's picking up from his his little workroom has like autumn leaves on it. I guess symbolizing that Mr. Miyagi is in the autumn of his life. And this movie's not huge on subtlety, so I wouldn't put it past them that that's exactly what they're trying to telegraph with this kind of a scene and daniel wants to know what mr miyagi's gonna do now and uh mr miyagi does not know which is fair because he only just learned of his firing like a few minutes ago and daniel has the great inspiration of asking did you ever think of opening a bonsai store which mr miyagi says he had in his dream his retirement and to which Daniel replies, well, What do you call this? I don't think Daniel understands how social security works. Well, Mr. Miyagi says it's called time to go. Because Mr. Miyagi always has a way with words. True. But Daniel's not going to forget about those bamboo wind chimes. And in fact, he's going to take him down now. So we say farewell to a beloved set because we're now headed back to the Miyagi Mance, the original one. Indeed. Uh, which later becomes Miyagi Do, but right now it's just their house where. 
Daniel is unloading bonsai trees from the bed of Mr. Miyagi's truck onto a work table. You know, I've been thinking about the bonsai shop idea. And Mr. Miyagi says that he couldn't do a bonsai tree store because they helped build a house for UKA in Okinawa. Yeah, so apparently they spent the summer building UKA's house? Yeah. That's wild. But again, not unexpected. Mr. Miyagi's a real softy when he wants to be. I mean, I'm a little confused as to why that was necessary. Okay, I should add that Daniel's trying to make Mr. Miyagi take his college money. Because in California, you apparently carrying around your college fund in bills that you just keep in a wad that you take across international borders. Okay, look. One, we don't know when he was at the bank. Two, you know, this is kind of at the dawn of ATMs. It's like you're carrying around a big stack of cash in your wallet and tuitions were lower back then. And uh, it's conceivable, if only just. Well, Daniel didn't wait for Mr. Miyagi. He has now headed off in the banana boat to the Century 21 office. And there he's going to get it all taken care of. Meanwhile, at Silver Manor, Terry is on the phone. Is he in a steamer? Yeah, he's he's in his sauna. He's actually on the phone with Crease, who is now firmly ensconced in Tahiti. Yes. Getting a double massage from two uh, young ladies. Yes, yeah, like he's in season two of Money Heist. Professor, soy Nairobi. Empieza el matriarcado. Meanwhile, Terry is sitting in a steam room, perfect, with glass bricks, just this is so 80s nouveau riche and champagne and Apparently, just going going on and on and on about how he's gonna destroy daniel's life and you know what he's gonna learn from me pain in every part of his body fear in every part of his mind right that's a line we yeah. know from another area of the miyagi verse terry has some grand plans here and he's not shy about laying them all out to crease they're having a bit of a brainstorming session over the phone crease wants to make sure that uh he has a bullet point in the plan. They're doing that thing where you're in a work meeting and you have to make sure you contribute something so you at least have something to put on your your productivity report, you know? So, so, he, so he's like... Make his knuckles bleed. That's Crease's only big contribution to the plan. All that Terry really can do this is kind of... Oh, I like that, Johnny! Like, I'm gonna use it! <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin-style hop with his robe, with his, with his giant bath towel on. And now, of course, he's dressed up like in a tux... Yeah. He's walking outside. He's trying to pick out a car, I believe. He's he's you know, he's he's in between making calls to help find new places to dump his toxic waste, but for now his business is strictly revenge. He's like some sort of a weird like anti Bruce Wayne where he's like he's really into the whole like deception of it all to where he's like, you know, I need to pick out just the right car to look like I'm a a schlub from the street and I need to win Daniel's confidence. So I'm going to dress poor and, and, you know, revenge is my business for the next few weeks. It really blows my mind to think about the fact that this came out in the same year as Batman 1989. I mean, Terry would be right at home in Batman 1989. I have a feeling that Terry's actually really good friends with Jack Palance's character in Batman 1989. That's probably who he's been on the phone with in a a couple of these. That's exactly right. It's an important job. You are my number one guy. I know. <laughs> okay, so now he's on the way to his event, right? He's picked out a car from a, an array of cars that he's going to use to deceive Daniel. Now he's in the back of a, a limo or a fancy car being driven somewhere, and he's going through the karate magazine where he sees a, a feature on karate's bad boy, Mike Barnes. And- Representing the Cobra Kai, the challenger, Mike Barnes! Come on, right now! Let's go, fun! Mike Barnes. Mr. Silver, you just bought yourself a champion. Mike Barnes, you, you can dream about me. Karate's bad boy, Mike Barnes. 
And there we see Sean Kanan's face plastered across a, a page looking very menacing. Meanwhile, back at the Miyagi manse, Mr. Miyagi is grilling what looks like some very delicious meat. And Daniel has returned home looking like the cat who got the cream. The only beef Miyagi is interested in is Wagyu. And yeah, Daniel gets home just in time to deliver some good news. Well, Daniel thinks it's good news. Yeah. Well, yeah, Daniel's good news. He delivers to Miyagi over dinner, which is... Mr. Miyagi says, how's college? And Daniel's like, well, I didn't go (laughs) because indeed I sunk my big old wad of cash. He says, this is my college diploma. Ha ha ha. But you have sense humor. Mr. Miyagi always graciously tells Daniel he has a sense of humor, even when Daniel isn't really being that funny. Yeah. But uh, at this moment, this this thing that he's given Mr. Miyagi is one month security and two months rent for his bonsai store. Yeah. He didn't even buy the building. He just got the lease. Like, well, I mean, you said it yourself. College wasn't that expensive back then. That's true. But a building is. <laughs> yes, we just enough left over for renovations if we're careful. And so uh, Daniel has basically given Miyagi the gift of debt. Uh, and so what they're going to do is... Better to go into debt for Mr. Miyagi yeah. than for the academic industrial complex. Okay, I just can't take courses to take courses. You know, I'll get bored, and then once that happens, forget about it. Fair, but, I mean, this sets off a string of what I consider to be very frustrating uh, decisions from Daniel. He's really, really pressing his luck in this narrative to where, you know... He's, as a character, he's backslid tremendously from Karate Kid 1. Yes, he has. Well, he's taken the wrong lessons away, right? In that mm-hmm. in that sense, he's he's on a parallel trajectory with Johnny Lawrence. Um, he has, he is internalized being a champ, but he still is, is not seeing the part of it that comes from him. It's all about making Mr. Miyagi happy and solving things rather than accepting things. Mm-hmm. Right? He's, he doesn't quite have that aspect of balance down. What a moment. What a moment. You are now crossing over to the right side of the tracks. So now we've arrived. We've, we've gone across the railroad tracks. And now we are at a, a sort of warehouse-looking building with corrugated steel in front of it. A beware of dog sign. Trash scattered about. Trash scattered about. There's a pottery shop across the street, though. That looks promising. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the super frustrating part. In the same building as the pottery store, there's another space already for rent. Daniel could have had a better space immediately across the street from the space that he got. But your college fund can only pay for so much. I'm telling you, the landlord says this neighborhood is up and coming, and I believe her too. How Daniel is thrilled to show Mr. Miyagi around this place is pretty junked up. But Daniel tells Miyagi, looks can be deceiving. They have the potential here. You have to think potential. It's the 80s, man. Well, this is textbook Daniel, as we've come to know him over the years, is his eyes are bigger than his stomach as far as his ambition goes, right? It's yes. like, it's the same pattern that we kind of see him repeat in Cobra Kai, where it's like, he ha- once he gets his teeth into an idea, he's very stubborn, and he will not let go of an idea, no matter how ill-conceived it is at the start. Just going to try to lure him into opening his own bonsai tree store. Mr. Miyagi's little trees was a solid business plan. We just ran into some bad luck. But he's very sweet in this, right? Like he's talking about having a little bonsai hospital in one corner of the place. And then he's going to work for free. And he's even thought of a name. They're going to call it Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees. Bonsai. And, you know, Pat Morita, again, Pat Morita is the soul of this whole thing. And that's why it's the Miyagi-verse, right? Like he looks moved. He looks truly kind of proud, chuffed, and moved, even though he disagrees with all this stuff, right? 
Yeah. Like, Daniel's sweetness is something he can't avoid. That's true. I mean, Daniel's heart is very gregarious. He's a very charismatic person. And so Mr. Miyagi very, very reluctantly agrees to go along with this plan. You know, one, because Daniel is so sweet. And two, well, frankly, what else are they going to do? Well, when Mr. Miyagi goes, your name on the lease next to mine, partner, and then they bow and he says, arigato. Like, that's truly a sweet moment, you know? That is definitely the sweetest read. Meanwhile, back at Terry Silver's Tower of Terror, Terry is on his fake antique phone, you know, talking about why can't he dump his toxic waste in Borneo? He is chest deep in a bubble bath with his secretary sitting next to the bubble bath taking uh minutes this, i guess this is this is like straight out of arthur right he's dudley born he's even got his own hobson like secretary sitting there i'm gonna take a bath do you want to run my bath for me perhaps you'd like me to come in there and wash your dick for you he's evil arthur indeed eviler arthur evil hey arthur's not <laughs> evil he's just confused fair he never had a good role model Terry is apparently dealing with a grand jury, and he will bribe them, as usual. You know, Terry, you not two scenes ago said all your business is going to be revenge until further notice. And this is not revenge business. This is talking poached salmon. Oh, but wait. Enter Mike Barnes, who has been brought down. the bad boy of karate? He's the bad boy of karate, and he's got the flat top buzz to prove it. Representing the Cobra Kai, the challenger, Mike Barnes! You, you can dream about me. Karate's bad boy, Mike Barnes. So Terry is telling him to consider himself home, and then and then his butler ushers in two dudes who look kind of like the the outsiders version of the Goonies. <laughs> wow, I mean, I could definitely see it now that you describe them that way. Apparently, there are a couple of uh, ne'er do wells that Terry has hired to be Mike Barnes's pals for this movie. Exactly. Uh, just again, extra hired muscle on top of Mike Barnes is already, uh, you know, appreciable muscle. Terry has, we have learned, acquired 20 dojos and he's offering Mike Barnes 25%. But now apparently he's going to give Mike Barnes, a man he just met today, 50%. Well, yes, exactly. In a typical 80s uh, negotiation, <laughs> Terry's like, Do you fight as hard as you negotiate? And Mike Barnes is like, Harder. And Terry's like, you got your 50%. And then Terry actually is a little smitten with Mike Barnes. He's like, yeah, he's perfect. Oh. Uh, which I guess if you're an evil guy, I mean, that's the, this is uh, this is classic supervillain recruiting 101. Meanwhile, at the Devil's Cauldron, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel are harvesting a tiny little pine tree that they are going to take home. Daniel is joking with the tree as they wrap it in burlap, saying, Any bonsai in here? But Mr. Miyagi explains, Not inside, inside, inside you. That Daniel comes from inside you. It's the same place your karate comes from. This is a key scene. And Daniel goes, But my karate comes from you. And Mr. Miyagi says, Only root karate comes from Miyagi. Just like the bonsai tree, Choose own way grow because the root is strong. And you're doing the karate for the same reason. And Daniel reiterates, yeah, but I do it your way. Mr. Miyagi insists in an adorable, almost alpine-looking hat. One day, you do only. Daniel and Miyagi have a little walk and talk over the uh, Northern California wilderness. This is clearly a metaphor for for mentorship and growing up, right? Daniel's talking about how they do train the bonsai to grow. But Mr. Miyagi says, well, there are real bonsai 
um, that they grow wild in this way, but they're all in Okinawa. And Daniel says, what about here? Mr. Miyagi only knows of one. And, you know, then he explains to Daniel that he brought it. It's the only thing he brought with him from Okinawa. Okay, yeah, this is wild. So apparently in the Devil's Cauldron uh, Park in California, Mr. Miyagi smuggled a bonsai from from Okinawa and hid it inside this cavernous space in the in the park, right? Yep. And you know, completely violating any sort of import export uh, you know, like how did he man, that's some that's another movie is how did he smuggle this thing in? Who knows, man. Back back when Mr. Miyagi came over though, Customs was not what it is today. Fair. So meanwhile, they are doing kata. They bow to each other and are going through all the different positions. Um, it's really a beautiful scene with the music yeah. and and you can tell that that Ralph and Pat just have such great uh, such a great sense of each other. Well, this is where it gets wild because we're out on this cliffside doing the kata. It's a special kata that Mr. Miyagi informs us. And then, and then, we crossfade to a wild helicopter shot where we're close in on like a two-thirds body of Pat Morita and Ralph Macchio, and the helicopter just pulls back. We see the Devil's Cauldron roiling below. Yeah, and this is 1989. This is not, you know, this is pre-drone. So they had to do this in a helicopter with, like, a super stable cameraman. It's just like Julie Andrews and the Sound of Music, right? The hills are alive with the sound of wisdom from Mr. Miyagi. That's right. But we're back now at Mr. Miyagi's little trees. Mr. Miyagi's in here... Uh, putting stuff together that they're, they're going to have to clean or fix up. And Daniel walks in with a with a tree saying, I figured you might want to give it another try. He's going to give this tree another shot, even though they didn't have good luck with it at the house. Anyway, they put it on a work table. I'm talking about how it's bigger than he thought. And he gives Mr. Miyagi his charcoal and his paper. And now I'm going to ruminate on a fan theory I have, which is in the DVD special features for The Karate Kid Part 1, Pat Morita said that he designed the Miyagi-Do logo. Right, with a bonsai in front of the sun. Hmm. And I was also talking to Brianna and some other folks on Twitter about this a while back. But, you know, when Pat said that, uh, he was on the commentary track with Ralph and Robert Mark Kamen and neither, and also Avildsen, and none of them corrected him. But in this scene, we see Pat Morita beginning to draw on the, the piece of paper with his charcoal. And I think that in Pat's memory, he confused drawing the bonsai himself freehanded here with designing the... Uh, Miyagi-Do logo overall. That's a very interesting theory. But, and, yeah. But yes, this that could very well be the case. Daniel is also telling Mr. Miyagi that now the tournament has removed the rule that he has to fight, he just has to defend. And he's trying to convince Mr. Miyagi to train him for this next tournament. But Mr. Miyagi is explaining that if you're just doing this to win, win a tournament, karate doesn't mean anything. Yeah, Daniel explains that conveniently the All-Valley Tournament has decided, you know, all the previous year's competitor has to do is defend his, the title rather than fight in the entire tournament, which is good for Daniel, who wants to re-enter, I guess because this might be his last opportunity yep. to do the under-18 All-Valley Tournament without... The immediate threat of Cobra Kai or Johnny Lawrence to fight against, it is a little unclear why Daniel is so keen to get back into the tournament other than just 
his own like notoriety, right? Boy, he really is keen. But she's so keen. Now he's headed over across the street because Mr. Miyagi, you know, deflected the discussion by telling Daniel, go get a, a pot for a bonsai tree. And there he meets Jessica Andrews, who is yeah. played by Robin Lively, a.k.a. Teen Witch. That's right. Robin Lively is here, guys, and uh, she's here to be our, well, I guess she's here to be our best friend for Daniel for this movie. She's a pottery artist, and she's doing the classic uh, ghost pottery wheel maneuver, minus Patrick Swayze. Uh, Daniel comes in, like, they do a little bit of, uh, you know, cursory introductions. Uh, Daniel instantly wants to play an angle which is hey you do pottery we sell trees why don't you make some pots for our trees maybe with a little bone size on them you know jessica's into the idea so yeah it's it's a fun little meat cute here it is now daniel points out a picture of jessica rock climbing with some dude whose head is pulled off hey rock climbing huh interesting exactly but apparently that guy ran off with some woman or something she says some other lady happened to him and so meanwhile back to the pots daniel is you know, asking if they could put the bonsai tree on the side, and she's, you know, like, yes, willing to emboss it. And they're having this conversation, but there's a loud honking coming from outside. It's, again, kind of like the virgin alarm. That was my virgin alarm. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, Jessica uh, and Daniel have other things to do, uh, unfortunately. Uh, But, you know, uh, this movie needs an action girl, so it's convenient that they've got one right uh, across the street from Mr. Miyagi's little tree. Especially one who knows her way around ropes in a harness. Well, Well, I mean, in the rock climbing way, not the other way. I didn't know there was one. Daniel is heading outside, and we see hear that honking of that car, but we never see the car. It's not just a ghost moment, it's a ghost car. Back at Mr. Miyagi's little trees, Mr. Miyagi is nearly done shaping that bushy old pine into something that looks very much like a tiny German Tannenbaum. Miyagi's got a lot going on here. So he's sketching the tree and then he's doing the bonsai to look like the sketch, which is pretty wild. I didn't know you did it that way. Probably Mr. Miyagi didn't either until Daniel gave him the piece of paper and his charcoal. Anyway, Daniel is going through uh, the fragments of the other tree branches and Daniel's like, yeah. Yeah, actually, I did. I found a date. You didn't send me over there just to look at pots, did you, huh? Daniel is ever thinking of one thing, but he finds that Mr. Miyagi did not sign the entry form for the All-Valley Tournament. And Daniel just, you know, is persistent as ever, saying, Miyagi, I understand your feelings on this. I mean, I do, but you have to understand mine. You know, this is the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, Daniel has a real fight-or-flirt reflex, and having just finished flirting, he's back to wanting to fight. Indeed. Well, Daniel can't see any way out of repeating the greatness that he's already achieved, right? Mm. And Mr. Miyagi is pushing him to look inside himself, but Daniel, all he has inside himself, he says, is... The only thing living inside me right now is a lot of confusion. Uh, Truthometer equals true on that one. Daniel is is not pleased when Mr. Miyagi says that really he should just put a match to it and watch his confusion disappear in smoke. Meanwhile, back at Mr. Miyagi's house... A door is mysteriously opening as Daniel hums a strange song on his way from the shower back to his little room on the side of Mr. Miyagi's house. Yeah, so Daniel's really made himself uh, at home here at um, the Miyagi 
Miyagi Mance. Oh, my God. He's, he's doing some Dancing with the Stars stuff way early on. Last week, Ralph nailed the character of the jive, but the judges thought he needed more control. Yeah. And he's also borrowing Mr. Miyagi's Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, and doing a very ridiculous dance while drying his hair in his room, much to the uh, <laughs> much to the wonderment of one Terry Silver, who is now skulked in in a kind of uh, a drapey All Saints Evil Man's jacket. He's got his house robbing gear on, uh, minus <laughs> uh, any sort of mask here. But uh, he's gonna he's gonna pull wet bandits on Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. He's here to get some intel, apparently. Uh, he's going to skulk through the house a bit, uh, see what he can find out about Mr. Miyagi and Daniel. Uh, so he finds Mr. Miyagi's, uh, backstory box, and, uh, the first thing in it is a big Los Angeles Tribune, uh, clipping that's, uh, talking about Japanese internments. He's got Mr. Miyagi's battalion patch, a picture of Mr. Miyagi's wife, another headline uh, about Con- the 442nd. Yeah, confirming Mr. Miyagi's connection to the 442nd. Silver's like, mm. he's already got his evil plan. His his earring is practically twinkling with good ideas on how to uh, sink Daniel and Mr. Miyagi's fortunes. Again, he's going to have to pull a home alone because uh, just as he gets a gander of Mr. Miyagi's Medal of Honor, uh, the one that Hawk will steal so many years from now, he's interrupted as Mr. Miyagi's car pulls up. Yeah, but not before he finds a flyer for Mr. Miyagi's little trees. Grand opening with his trademark smirk. Uh, and now, but then he's, he's, he's looking at this as Mr. Miyagi's car pulls up. Also, we see Daniel coming back in. So what's he going to do, right? How will he solve this conundrum? Terry makes himself scarce just in time to see this little scene. Daniel closes the window that Terry came in, seemingly oblivious. Mr. Miyagi comes in the front door. Apparently, Mr. Miyagi's been out partying, as he is often wont to do. He came back to the house to grab a... A uh, good luck idol. Some sort of good luck statue. Daniel is going to take Mr. Miyagi's advice to heart, and he's going to burn up this tournament entry form. He's going to let his confusion go up in smoke, and Mr. Miyagi looks very proud at Daniel for wanting his karate to mean something. So Daniel puts it in the grate of a fireplace that I had never noticed before now. Mr. Miyagi congratulates him on his good decision, and they both head out together because, of course, Daniel is off to see Jessica, and Mr. Miyagi is heading back to the shop with his good luck statue. Oh, see, that's why Daniel wanted Mr. Miyagi's uh, Daniel thinks he's got party a shirt. Exactly. Yeah. So meanwhile, the grate in the fireplace, we see Terry Silver's feet coming down and stepping out the fire as Terry coughs. Then we cut to... Daniel picking Jessica up. Jessica says that first she has to tell him something. Jessica has to embarrassingly admit that she can't be his love interest for this movie, having only had one scene with him prior. Indeed. See, unfortunately, the mysterious stranger in the rock climbing picture earlier was, in fact, her ex-boyfriend, and uh, she doesn't want him to be ex-boyfriend anymore. He's coming back, and she's going to give him another chance, and also she's going to move away forever in about a week. Go back to Columbus, Ohio. Right. Uh, But the the fact of the matter is uh, her participation in this movie is on a timer, and Daniel's like, you know what? That's okay. Um, We don't have any other characters in this movie anyway, so uh, I'll be happy to stick around and go on some platonic dates with you for the next week or two. This time when a character tells you it's not a date, you can safely believe them. I just didn't want to lead you on or anything. This is a weird deal because like 
it's an interesting commentary on how women figure into these kind of movies because they're like, well, you got to have a girl, but we got to make it clear that he can't just always have girlfriends. Right. I mean, we can get into this in the uh, analysis portion, but it's really interesting what they choose to do with Jessica as a character in this movie. Daniel is walking Jessica across the road to meet Mr. Miyagi. Of course, Mr. Miyagi and Jessica are mutually charmed. That's she- right. It's a, it's, it's a second meet cute. In fact, it's an even cuter meet than the first meet cute. It is. And he's like, I'm actually auditioning for my next karate kid and she was like i would love it but i actually have to go rock climb and he's like i'll look for another slightly red-haired woman oh my gosh i didn't make that connection till just now but you're right they may have intended for jessica to be the next karate kid it would not surprise uh, me yeah i may had to do some last minute rewrites but we'll get to that in the next karate kid episode yes indeed so here we are daniel's giving jessica a tour of mr maggie's little trees and you know showing her his good the good luck statue and how excited he is. You know, Daniel is ever enterprising. I will say this for him. Like, he's very committed and he sticks with something committed to the point of stubbornness. And they're talking about karate and that he knows it. And she responds that he doesn't look like the karate teacher type. And Daniel's like, Half the time he teaches me stuff, but I don't even know what I'm being taught. Mr. Miyagi can make a karate lesson out of anything. Like, Daniel is so into Mr. Miyagi that he really doesn't see um, how Mr. Miyagi is teaching him or what Mr. Miyagi is trying to teach him. Yeah. Right now he's really into showing Jessica how to wait. What? Oh, Oh, well it, it starts as a conversation as to how pottery is like karate, uh, karate or something, but and then it becomes from pottery to karate. Yes. Um, but enough of the, enough about that. It's time for mysterious ne'er-do-wells to come in and intrude on their peaceful, not quite platonic date. As Sean Kanan and one of the Goonies named Snake come in to tell Daniel that he needs his title. I mean, Mike Barnes is like, no, no, no. I need your title. So then enter the tournament and go for it. Maybe you didn't hear me. I need your title. You don't enter and that affects my financial future, Daniel. So basically, they're being tough guys. Meanwhile, Jessica's like, wait, aren't you Mike Barnes, the bad boy of karate? No, she's not. She doesn't know anything about this world. She's too busy making pots and more power to her. Fair. Yeah. This, this has to be very confusing. As as confusing as it is for Daniel to get accosted out of nowhere by a, by a violently angry Mike Barnes. Come on, man. Right now. Come on. Right now. Let's go. It must be twice as confusing for Jessica. I know. Like, what is going on? Anyway, now Mike Barnes is telling her she can dream about him as they walk away with Daniel holding the form. And now they're trading insults as she's calling them slime balls. Snake yeah. is explaining that Mike Barnes is usually a pretty mellow guy. Yeah. Snake Snake playing the Kissinger to Barnes' Nixon. Oh, you'll pay. Don't think you won't pay. Wow. <laughs> Jessica asks Daniel if he knows those creeps, and Daniel says no, and he wants to keep it that way. And keep it that way he does, because cut to the next day at Miyagi-Do. We're out in the garden, lovingly manicured and curated by Mr. Miyagi. And uh, once again, Daniel and Miyagi are doing the very special kata that they were working on earlier out in the uh, wilderness when in intrudes another person out of nowhere. But this time it's Terry Silver wearing a much more understated uh, outfit than he usually does. He's just got a nice uh, jeans and a members only jacket. He's, this is his weird community theater version of himself. He's explaining that uh, his sensei is 
Kim Sung Jun from South Korea, and his teacher sends his respects. John Kreese of the Cobra Kai Dojo was our school's number one student. He's come all the way from Korea to apologize for Cobra Kai, and apparently there's a whole martial arts movie happening in Terry's backstory. Then he explains that John Kreese saved his life in Vietnam. He came here to help, but he was too late because Kreese died. The doctor said it was cardiac arrest after he lost all his students. That was just a just a picture from life's other side. He died of a broken heart. Terry says that, you know, John saved his life in Vietnam, but war does something to a man. And of course, he uses this to appeal to Mr. Miyagi because Mr. Miyagi says he does know that war does something to a man. And Terry, as if you know, given a message from God, knows that Mr. Miyagi was from the 442nd. Yeah, Terry's all mock reverential in a mm-hmm. way that is kind of like Robbie in the beginning of his exchanges with Daniel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, Robbie becomes sincere. Terry Silver is in no danger of sincerity at this time. Never never has, never will be. Never indeed. Anyway, Terry apologizes and says, sorry to interrupt their training. And as he walks off, Mr. Miyagi says he's sorry about his friend. And then tells Daniel, let's continue our kata. Man, Terry's really doing a good job looking like he's actually sorry, except he's got a sadistic smile like I pulled one over on him as he walks away. (laughs) Terry is practically a cartoon character. That's the thing. This movie is like normal Miyagi-verse with Toontown characters. Toontown villains dropped in. Cut to that evening. We're back at Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees. And uh, Jessica's coming into the bonsai store while Daniel's washing his hands. Uh, She wants to know if he's eaten yet because it's time for another platonic date. She's been stuck with this bag of macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese? Because her aunt was tied up. Her aunt owns the shop. Daniel is into this macaroni. Hey, listen, I never say no when it comes to macaroni and cheese. Oh, yeah, Daniel's way into this macaroni. On a scale of uh, 1 to 10, Daniel says he'd give it an 11. Because like the Big Bopper... Make me feel real loose like a long neck goose like a girl. Hey, you know what I like. <laughs> What's that, baby? Is it because the macaroni's that good, or is it because Daniel's so basic? Wait, this is not just about macaroni, though. This is also about a badass-looking pottery bowl. That's true. Jessica has the bonsai bowls here to demo for Daniel. Exactly. And, uh... <laughs> And like uh, a good episode of Dragon's Den, uh, Daniel's into it. Yeah, Daniel also has tickets for Jessica to go to a dance club. It's great with live music. When has Daniel been going out to clubs? He's barely of age uh, in any they sense. Went to the, I, maybe he'd pick up a taste for it in Okinawa. Yeah, okay. Maybe so. Maybe so. Anyway, they were but just rejoicing. Enough of that. But enough of that because <laughs> Snake and Mike Barnes and that other guy have come back. Ah, uh, that other guy, the most evil one of them all. And of course, Snake is calling Daniel Danny. If someone's calling Daniel Danny, we know that they do not have Daniel LaRusso's best interest at heart. And Mike Barnes is mad that Daniel has not yet signed this application. Uh, and now they're going to wreck the place. Basically, yeah. Dennis is the other dude. And Dennis is prepared to destroy one of Mr. Miyagi's screens. D stands for Dennis. D also stands for destroy. Exactly. Meanwhile, Mike Barnes is... I don't know what he's going to do, but it's not going to be good. Daniel's getting in the first scrap with this guy. Snake is egging him on. Daniel's kicking him, throwing him. I'm using some of that Okinawan street fighting. Now Snake's getting involved, and Jessica bashes him in the stomach. Was that with her pottery bowl? 
But Mike Barnes kicks Jessica in the stomach, which for Daniel is is the you know that's a feel too far for anybody. That's right. So Daniel's here to fight Mike Barnes, and Mike Barnes fights back. Mike Barnes has serious aggro karate. It's like he propels himself forward from his own knees, and then he drags Daniel up. Daniel fights back, but of course Mike Barnes has a pretty iron grip. Mike Barnes is just sort of in extreme training mode. He's telling Daniel he needs to sign it and get it over with. And Daniel's continuing to fight, but of course, more sucker punches, yeah, more no, threats. Nothing doing. Mike Barnes is a real T-1000 when it comes to karate. And then, as usual, Mr. Miyagi shows up, kicks the shit out of Snake, and also can take Mike Barnes. Yeah, Miyagi, Miyagi's Barnes, and uh, they, the three scatter out into a red Mustang waiting on the curb, no doubt supplied by Mr. Silver. There are so many evil, there are so many villains driving red cars in this show. Yeah, and uh, Miyagi verse, and Snake does some donuts while uh, Mike Barnes yells threats at them out the back As of the convertible. Disappear behind an Amtrak train. Man, it's it's a real scene out here in these streets. On the drive home, Mister Miyagi actually appears to be in a good mood. Like he's singing. Well, of course, he just kicked Mike Barnes' ass. That's he's the bad boy of karate. Had a crazy endorphin rush. <laughs> Holy crap. Mr. Miyagi for All-Valley Champ. Daniel cannot believe Mr. Miyagi's singing. Daniel is so high on his own moral outrage. And I get it. I mean, it sucks. But Daniel, you know, Mr. Miyagi's telling him to feel lucky. And Mr. Miyagi says, you can feel lucky because the bonsai tree is not, you know, in the shop. They're safe at home. Uh, And Mr. Miyagi's saying they can rebuild the shop, right? So for Mr. Miyagi, the wealth is in the trees, right? The thing that really matters isn't the storefront. But they can start over again after they sell a few trees. How much do you think these trees go for? I don't know. There may be money in the banana stand. But But it wasn't. Apparently there's even more money in these bonsai trees. Um, Daniel's not having it, though. Uh, He says... You know, this is the 80s. You gotta do something, Mr. Miyagi. What is going on with the 80s, man? Man, if Daniel didn't want to be passive in the 80s, I can't imagine how he feels about 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Daniel glowers as they pull up. At Mr. Miyagi's house. And as they pull in, they make a devastating discovery. All the trees are gone. Apparently, Barnes was the distraction while uh, Silver and company came to rob Mr. Miyagi of all Mr. Miyagi's titular little trees. But Mr. Miyagi, rather than stand there and stomp his foot, is going to go get his fishing rod. Daniel is, of course, yelling and angry because they're flat broke. and All Mr. Miyagi wants to do is go fishing. And Daniel does not understand that Mr. Miyagi has perspective. Mr. Miyagi is going to go catch them some dinner. Can't be so damn passive. Daniel sees that as far too passive. Somebody's got to do something about it. So he's getting in the banana boat. He's going to the police to report it. Well, good luck, Daniel. Again, it seems like Mr. Miyagi's being too passive, but if you think that, you clearly haven't been paying attention for the last two movies because Mr. Miyagi's plans are always cryptic he's always got some other ulterior motive i'm sure he was gonna go catch a bunch of fish and do a bunch of other things meanwhile back at the devil's cauldron we are out here and this time we brought action girl jessica andrews with us thank goodness she knows her way around ropes in a harness and the hills and also rock climbing jessica andrews julie andrews whoa whoa we're out here mary poppins teen witch 
It's the, it's the crossover event of, of the summer. season. Yeah, exactly. And you can tell that the guy directing this trilogy is a very good director of photography in his own right, because they have set this up so beautifully with Daniel and Jessica walking down the hill. Uh, yeah, we got the- a nice silhouette of the tree line against the stark like horizon line of the ocean. Now that we can get out here in the nice national park, we're getting really fancy with the photography out exactly. here. Exactly. Uh, not unlike the beach in the in the first movie or in some of the Okinawa scenes in the second movie. But yeah, they're scouting out the titular devil's cauldron. And, and looking at how dangerous it is, right? Because yeah. at a high tide, the water comes in and then basically floods the basin. And we cut to a model shot of the mythical Miyagi-Do bonsai looking exactly like it does in the in Mr. Miyagi's logo for Miyagi-Do. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of sitting on the edge of the cliff with butterflies like perched around it look you know it's almost like it shouldn't be moved yeah exactly <laughs> it's almost like somebody shouldn't fuck with it daniel i know <laughs> jessica really does not understand why daniel has not told mr miyagi that he's gonna go get a special tree but daniel says well i checked around i found out these original bonsai trees huh? they start at ten thousand dollars no way seriously no see see that's why it's so important to me we have to get a tree mr miyagi's mythical bonsai will be perfect because apparently it's worth a lot of money the money for this tree would set mr miyagi up for life and really that's all you need in the 80s right money fortunately we've established that jessica handily knows how to do rock climbing so we start rappelling down the mountain Daniel's not doing so hot. Slipping almost immediately. Well, it's no good that she's giving him lessons on the hardest thing ever as they're going down. Uh, But the way they shot it here on the soundstage makes it look not unlike uh, Batman 66 when they would, when Batman and Robin would be climbing up the side of the building and a guest star would pop his head out. It should be good practice if something ever takes us to Mount Everest, Batman. Hey! Batman and Robin! What are you guys doing? Pursuit of justice allows us few diversions. So yeah, now that they've just now gotten their balance, and Jessica's making sure that Daniel's okay, looking around, admiring, or appreciating the fact that it's super duper steep. She's never been this high up before. This is a real mistake. And now Daniel's freaking out. Um... Because he says he does not have a choice, which is, of course, bananas. Everybody has a choice. And no one told Daniel to do this. We can get into into the weeds with this later. But yeah, Daniel seems like every choice Daniel makes in this movie seems like he is being coerced when really he doesn't have to do anything to get through this movie. Um, And yet he chooses to keep pressing forward anyway in spite of himself. Um this but, movie, yeah, this movie is all about a guy says he wants a thing. The girl's like, all right, I guess I'll help you get this thing, even though I think it's kind of weird. Yeah, even though I just met you and we're and you know I just happen to have the skill you need to do this thing, uh, we'll guess we'll do it anyway. Daniel's like talking about the Spider Man could come down, and, and obviously Spider Man is very strongly influential in the Miyagi verse. And with Daniel's great responsibility, they have to muster the great power to do this. So, yeah, Daniel's explaining that Mr. Miyagi brought this tree all the way back from Okinawa, and Jessica's like, What if he tells you to put it back? I mean, what do you... 
Oh, he will. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Daniel says he's not going to tell me to put it back. Yeah, because believe me, Daniel says. I mean, I know this guy. That bonsai shop was his dream come true. Jessica, ever the voice of reason, says. I just still don't think we should be doing this. Yeah, well, I saw his face when he lost his job. Believe me, I know what I'm doing. Daniel's just certain the tree's going to be fine. Just sort of pack the roots while Daniel's aware that a strong root matters, right? And that becomes a root metaphor for Cobra Kai. No pun intended. Anyway, they are about to pack the bonsai tree and when Jessica screams and falls and the bonsai tree, which they had, I thought, or they had planned to affix to a rope, has now fallen into the salt water. Ugh, Daniel, what are we doing? It's amateur hour out here at Devil's Cauldron. Quickly, the pair rappel down to the absolute bottom of the cauldron, which is where the there's an inlet to the sea and the tide is rushing in and the... Bonsai tree is taking a little bath down here in the a salt, salt water. water bath. It's no bueno for a little bonsai tree. Luckily, now. Jessica has a canteen because she's an actual outdoors person and she's washing off the roots. Daniel's putting it in a plastic bag, uh, packing it in. It's funny that it didn't take any dirt with it, isn't it? It fell root ball and all down into the water. Uh, unfortunately, at that moment, they look up to see that their ropes are slowly climbing away by themselves. And oh gosh, who's this? At the top of the cliff, it's Snake and Dennis, and of course, the bad boy of karate himself. The challenger, Mike Barnes. And you, you can dream about me. Karate's bad boy, Mike Barnes. That also explains why we've had this upswelling of Spielberg-like music happening right now. Now Daniel and Jessica and Mike are in this very awkward argument to where... Mike Barnes is like, It's over, Anakin! I have the high ground! I hope you brought a life raft! Daniel is not sure how they're going to get out of here without rope, because without rope, they're dead. And Daniel is screaming, Smiling man, you're going to be dead, me! Just sort of like a Johnny Lawrence thing to say. They're talking about who's laughing then. Daniel's making all these threats about them being dead meat and signing the form. So there, he signed it. And of course, the bullies up, up top are laughing. Well, it's an odd threat, right? Because... What Mike has done is, like, he sent the, you know, Daniel had the form, and Mike insists that he won't lower the rope for Daniel unless he signs the form, but Daniel still has the form when they lower the rope. It's very, it's a very strange situation. It's also interesting that they're creating so much suspense around the ropes themselves. Like, this is clearly when rock climbing was go becoming mainstream as a thing, and this was a very, like, it's it's like it's like Mike unfamiliar had, technology or yeah. something. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the whole idea of the threat is strange because it's like Mike has a metaphorical gun to Daniel's head, but Daniel has the metaphorical bullets. Like, it's like yeah, they need to both cooperate for this threat to work, and then You're Mike has to rescue Daniel and Jessica by pulling them up the cliff on the ropes but Mike won't completely pull them all the way up unless Daniel hands over the form first yeah but then Mike let, threatens Jessica yeah cetera, they let Jessica slip yeah it's 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 a wild scene out here at Devil's Culture Daniel gives them the application and Barnes has has Snake check it out you know, Snake is to make real sure pleased. that Daniel didn't just sign it with an X. Don't even think about backing out, man, because then I'll really be pissed. I'm I'm waiting for that whole meme to start telling us that Snake is the real Karate Kid. 
I haven't quite gotten there yet, but yeah, where the where the snake was right. The means. reboot is young, so <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, now they're toying with Daniel and Jessica a little bit, talking about not pulling him up, uh, and Snake is is threatening and and saying the stakes went up, and I think they're oh he's wanting them to give him the treat and loosening Jessica's rope again. I'm not quite sure what this is about, except being mean. Exactly, as like, they say in just... the Princess Bride, they're doing it for the pain. Indeed. How funny would it be in season three when Johnny is in jail if, if Snake is like his cellmate? That's the kind Anything. of cameo I would expect to see. Snake is clearly the precursor to Brooks. The, oh, the skinny yeah. dips and bong rips guy from, from Snake, season Snake one of Cobra Kai. definitely Brooks' dad, yeah. for sure. He's, he's Brooks' pair. Yeah. But uh, Mike Barnes is looking at the tree, no. breaks it in half, and with it he breaks Daniel's spirit as Ralph Macchio looks down. Uh, knowing that he's just broken Mr. Miyagi's heart. So it's raining now, or something. Well, uh, we have to make it nice and cinematic when Daniel bursts into Mr. Miyagi's little trees with the broken uh, bonsai tree. Once again, Pat Morita with total reality effect, right? As soon as Pat Morita sees the tree and gets really upset, you know, I 100% believe that this is real. That's the thing about this show, right? Like, it has real people in it, even though they're in a completely unreal situation. And Mr. Miyagi is going to rinse the roots. And Daniel will not stop blubbering, talking about how he should have listened. And I didn't want it to be my fault that your dream can come true. How can someone take care of something better than when he left it? Maybe even better care than itself, you know? <laughs> Begging for forgiveness. Like, Daniel, you know, Mr. Miyagi says he forgives Daniel, but Mr. Miyagi is busy actually solving the problem while Daniel is just fretting constantly. Miyagi forgives. And Mr. Miyagi says, If roots strong, trees survive. And another guy is here to deliver bonsai trees, which of course Mr. Miyagi got. Yeah, where do you want these bonsai trees? Yeah, Mr. Miyagi reveals that while Daniel was out puttering around at Devil's Cauldron with Jessica, Mr. Miyagi was actually doing something productive. He wasn't just going to fish. He was probably taking one last fishing trip with his truck before he sold it to buy a whole new set of bonsai trees for the shop. Bonsai tree, bonsai. Exactly. And now Daniel, of course, is angry and banging stuff, saying, why is he so stupid? Damn it, why am I so stupid? No worry, Daniel, sir. Everything worked out. Everything okay now. Sometimes I wonder if Mr. Miyagi's like, how did I wind up with this kid? It is definitely a question how he wound up with the Karate Kid 3 version of Daniel. You know, this Daniel has definitely fallen back on some bad patterns, like he's self-loathing and he's just kind of downward spiraling this entire act. Yeah, he's explained that he made this decision on the spot to sign to go do the tournament because he was at risk. And Mr. Miyagi's just like, I understand, because Mr. Miyagi has no freaking time. He's, he's going to fix this tree as Daniel just keeps talking. You know, Daniel's like, I don't stand a chance against this guy unless you train me. And Mr. Miyagi says he understands, but he will not train Daniel for this thing. Since there was no direct, you know, sustained bullying threat to Daniel, you know, this Mike Barnes kid isn't like Johnny. He isn't like a existential threat to Daniel in the same way that Johnny was. Mike Barnes has just come out of nowhere, it seems. Well, Mike Barnes is actually kind of an existential threat, but what's happening is that Daniel doesn't even know, I mean, I'm in some ways sort of retconning this to make it make more sense, but I think it's true that Daniel has not really communicated effectively to Mr. Miyagi that these guys are threatening him. Like, he doesn't want to worry Mr. Miyagi, he doesn't want to admit his own weakness, whatever, but he's not having that conversation with Mr. Miyagi, and he's all framing it in terms of ego, which for Mr. Miyagi is a non-starter. But right now, Daniel's running in the park with Jessica. Right, Jessica and Daniel decide to get in some quick 
cardio. Some quick foggy park runs when here comes Terry Silver in his in his baby blue beach buggy. This is the poor person's car that Terry was fretting about at the beginning of the movie. Uh, and it turns out to have done the job because uh, as he drives up to Daniel, you know, completely apropos of nothing, he's just like, oh, hey, Daniel, I just happened to be driving by while you were doing your cardio. And, uh, you know, I heard that uh, this Mike Barnes is some real hot shit and you should probably keep your head on a swivel for this guy. Because of all the sweep techniques that I know about and you don't, basically. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, yeah, I'm sure Mr. Miyagi's got your back, even though I secretly know he doesn't. So, uh... He offers Daniel a book of karate techniques, which is ironic, given that Daniel was learning from karate from a book when he met Mr. Miyagi. But anyway, they head off and run. I mean, much to Terry's credit, he is playing it slow here. He, you know, he set up this trap for Daniel, such as the next day when Daniel's out, uh, training by himself at Miyagi-Do, when Barnes comes bursting into the yard again out, seemingly out of nowhere and mike not, barnes is dressed like a 50s villain yeah he's 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 dressed not unlike chosen in in chosen street clothes from uh part two meanwhile mike barnes throws daniel to the ground when here comes terry silver dressed in in white looking vaguely heroic yeah terry wisely having decided to come in from the side gate even though it's clear that they probably rode there together <laughs> exactly Let him up, punk. he's picking barnes off daniel and he's got the book there that he's ostensibly there to give Daniel. Yeah, they're, they're just, yeah, these two are doing a real one-act play in front of Daniel, and Daniel's, uh, playing it up big. Daniel's you know, falling for it hook, line, and sinker. I ever see you even on the same street as this kid. You understand? Yeah. You understand? Yes! All right. Daniel's like, I was hoping you'd really uh, kick Barnes' ass, and, and Terry's like, oh, karate's not about that. It's about me getting slow revenge on you over the course of a summer. Until your knuckles bleed. Uh, yeah. Terry decides to, uh, or at least this version of Terry decides to befriend Daniel and show him a trick or two. Well, there's we're only gonna... so much you can learn from a book, right? A That's callback. right. We're gonna learn. Uh, we're gonna learn some sweeps as uh, Terry set up earlier. Let me show you a couple of moves. Help you deal with punks like that. But yeah, they're doing the thing, and of course he lets Daniel knock him down. And Terry's like, you know, basically that's a strong move because everyone needs mm -hmm. a teacher, Daniel. Yeah. And then he tells Daniel he's opening the Cobra Kai dojo again. Going to set things straight. And he's there for Daniel, no strings attached. Um, Terry doesn't want to be Daniel's teacher. You're going to be my karate teacher? No. I'm going to be your sensei. So he's heading off. Daniel didn't immediately say yes, right? Daniel's skeptical of Cobra Kai because, you know, hey, Daniel, you have a good reason to be. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I really wish I'd been in the production meeting. And they're like, "What are we gonna name this villain?" Terry, Terry, Terry Richmond, Terry, Terry Jenkins, Ter Terry Gold Guy, yeah, Terry Platinum, Terry Warbucks. The next day, Daniel comes zooming up to Mr. Miyagi's little trees in the banana boat. Uh, he's super excited because uh, Terry was showing him some sweeps yesterday, and he doesn't want Mr. Miyagi's training necessarily he just wants to see how to do some sweeps and uh mr miyagi and then daniel strangely Daniel's begging begging him. gets on me please please like daniel's daniel he just can't stop talking I, I just want to ask you do you know how to sweep of course would, would you mind showing me how i mean i'm not asking you to train me i don't want you to train me just just this one thing one thing just one thing i'd be so appreciative all you have to do is one thing you gotta do i mean i'm not asking you to train me i don't want you to do one thing be a pal yeah he can't let it go and then Mr. Miyagi's like, okay, I'll teach you how to do some sweeps. Wait right here. And uh, 
Daniel's all effusive and he's talking to Jessica about uh, his new friend Terry when uh, Mr. Miyagi decides to do bits on Daniel and he comes out with a broom and he's like, here, here's how you sweep. You hold like this. Fast. It's no joke, all right? This is kind of a Dennis the Menace dynamic, but where Mr. Wilson is the actual menace. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, Daniel doesn't appreciate having bits done to him, so uh, he hops back in the banana boat and races away, leaving Miyagi and Jessica to look uh, kind of uh, a little bit forlorn. It's uh, okay, man. They went inside of Mr. Miyagi, trained her in karate. Like, we just don't see it because this is the wrong movie, but... That's true. Indeed. That evening at Cobra Kai, uh, the OG Cobra Kai, we see Terry training in front of the mirror. Oh, look, there's a little black cloth draped over John Kreese's picture. That's a nice touch. Say what you will about Terry. He sets up an elaborate piece of stagecraft in this uh, in this little deception. So, yeah, now, you know, they, they're really uh, trying to sell Daniel on the idea that Kreese is dead. Terry's here. Terry's nice. Barnes is mean. And Terry will help Daniel defeat Bond. He's just getting the rust off, he says, after doing all these crazy karate moves. Daniel's here to take him up on it. Um, and Terry is saying, it's an honor. It would be an honor to train Daniel. How does Mr. Miyagi feel about it? And, of course, Daniel reveals that Mr. Miyagi is not involved. He doesn't need to know. That's right. Terry, the first of his many victories, he thinks, because he's driven a wedge between Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. Wow. The, now I just can't unsee the fact that Terry Silver really reminds me of Robbie. Absolutely. This is exactly where I want to be. But anyway, we see Daniel in his Cobra Kai gi. Because Terry had just happened to have an extra one lying around. He's going to teach him the three Ds. Desire, devotion, and discipline. Um, he can get and the Dennis and destruction. Okay, now he's calling Daniel Mr. LaRusso because we are truly at Cobra Kai and everyone is their last name. Uh, yeah, now we're going to do the things the Cobra Kai way, which is the sir, yes, sirs and the, you know, yes, senseis and all that stuff. Terry has this plan worked out to the last. Um, and we learn the first rule of Quicksilver, which is if a man can't stand, he can't fight. He has Daniel repeat that, then shows him a dummy made of plywood and pipe material. And he wants him to sweep the two by fours as legs. Terry has this dummy that looks like Simone Gertz made it. I'm going to build an animatronic robot version of myself. So it's interesting because he's got Daniel moving and he's prowling behind Daniel kind of like a big cat. And he's mocking Daniel for saying the word ow when Daniel hurts himself. And Daniel is no longer no longer talking at length. He's just saying this is extreme. And Terry tells him extreme situations require extreme measures. Terry wails on that wooden dummy, beats the crap out of it. And Daniel looks both impressed and terrified at the same time. Yeah, Simone Geertz is going to have to completely rebuild that dummy in her next YouTube video. And they're going to watch it, and they're going to be like, wow, Simone, like, you're smart and, and cool. But Terry yeah. tells Daniel that come back tomorrow, and they'll start again. This too could be you, Daniel LaRusso. Uh, Silver gives Daniel the business, and Daniel thanks him for the privilege. Indeed. Welcome to the Karate Kid Part 3. A little while later at... Miyagi-do, Daniel comes limping home, uh, bruised and blistered. Uh, Miyagi obviously notices immediately. Yeah, Mr. Miyagi misses nothing, but Daniel, of course, thinks that he's fooling everyone. Heads into Mr. Miyagi's room, 
Yeah, you'd think Miyagi would be a little bit upset that Daniel isn't at work, them being business partners. Mr. Miyagi just looks sad at what's happening to Daniel. And then, of course, we see Daniel in his room taking off his sock to find a badly bruised foot. And Mr. Miyagi's knocking on the door. Daniel is trying to hide it. Daniel, I see, has saved Mr. Miyagi's charcoal drawing and put it on the wall right next to his trophy, right? So Daniel's living the... Daniel's following the dream and pretends to be doing sit-ups when Mr. Miyagi walks in with a bowl and a tea kettle. So he's going to treat Daniel's foot, which Daniel's trying to pretend doesn't have anything wrong with it. But Mr. Miyagi knows all. Mr. Miyagi knows better. Mr. Miyagi knows something that Daniel should have known, which is doing sit-ups in bed is no good. Like it's all squishy and you get all hot and sweaty in bed. Who needs that? Yeah, I don't know. I've never tried it. Oh, here we go. So this is kind of a callback to the previous Karate Kid movie, specifically Karate Kid 1. And Miyagi has like a kind of a foot powder mix that looks like vinegar and baking soda volcano when he mixes it together. But again, it's one of Mr. Miyagi's patented uh, Miyagi treatments. You know what? I, I feel like Mr. Miyagi would probably get a lot further if he marketed some of his home remedies rather than had a bonsai tree store. Why not do both? <laughs> True. I mean, look at Rose Apothecary. Okay, you know what? I don't care. So you can do whatever you'd like. So meanwhile, Mr. Miyagi's talking to Daniel about stuff, but Daniel's busy tomorrow and Mr. Miyagi makes a face because he knows that Daniel's lying. So he just walks off as Daniel continues to try and dream up his excuses. Mr. Miyagi just walks out, closes the door, and uh, then Daniel, mumbling his excuses, notices that Mr. Miyagi's already walking away. Yeah, Miyagi's not having it. All Daniel can do is continue the backslide, which leads us to the next scene uh, over in Mr. Miyagi's own room. Yeah, Mr. Miyagi is uh, at his shrine. Well, he's doing his meditation, Well, that's true, he's meditating. And then he looks at a picture of Daniel. Because another thing about Cobra Kai is that in times of trouble, uh, the good guys look at pictures of the uh, the guys that they're worried about disappointing, or that they're disappointed in, and says, Hope confusion in the soul, Daniel-san. Miyagi heart empty without you. It's a very sweet scene as uh, Miyagi ruminates over this picture of Daniel from Karate Kid 2, but it's also kind of awkward because um, Miyagi-Do is a traditional Japanese house and the walls are made of paper, so you would think Daniel would have heard all that. That's true, but his room is an add-on. Oh, fair. So Terry, back at the dojo, Terry is admiring the fact that Daniel's foot is already healed. Uh, he's a fast healer. Little does Terry know that Daniel has some secret foot powder going on. And he's talking, you know, he asked, has Daniel explain what he does. Daniel says kata. And of course, Terry immediately dismisses kata, moves on to the quicksilver method of rule number two. A man can't breathe. He can't fight. That's true. If a man can't stand, he can't fight. If he can't breathe, he can't fight. We've heard these rules before because Johnny Lawrence also knows these rules. Now he's got Daniel with a punching bag. He's, he's having the punching bag simulate the person Daniel's going to punch through. Um, but no, now he's taking Daniel back to the plywood dummy, which is also somehow miraculously repaired, taped back together. I'm not clear. Oh, but... you just replace the boards. It's easy. Indeed. So he's got Daniel. Daniel, Daniel, of course, wants to know, why do I have to do it with this thing? And Terry's like, because it's part of the training. I like the little work glove hands on the dummy. <laughs> I like the way that they don't have a visible camera, despite having a room that is ostensibly full of mirrors. Oh, no. Yeah, they do a great job with this. Like, it really feels like a huge space, yeah. partly because of those mirrors. Oh, yeah. 
So yeah, Terry's be slowly giving him the hard sell now, saying, wake up and smell the coffee. He flips the plywood head around on the Simone Garrett's dummy, and there is a picture of Karate's bad boy, Mike Barnes. And you, you can dream about me. Karate's bad boy, Mike Barnes. You know, Terry's telling Daniel if you want to get beaten, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's fine, and walks away, and then, like, lingers there on the inside of the hallway waiting for Daniel to apologize or start without him. And of course, Daniel submits and begins punching the dummy that has Mike Barnes's face on it. And of course, this has a parallel now in Cobra Kai season one, when Johnny persuades Miguel to pour all of his anger into hitting a dummy that Miguel comes to associate with Tyler and the other bullies at school, right? Well, I mean, specifically in this scene, Terry kind of lampshades the famous crane kit from Karate Kid Part 1 and tells Daniel that he's wasting his time if Daniel doesn't toughen up and beat the hell out of Karate's bad boy. Also in that scene, Terry has a nice little villain laugh to himself, like a while standing in the hallway listening to Daniel begin to beat the plywood dummy. Um, Meanwhile, back at Mr. Miyagi's house, Daniel is reaching in the drawer for Mr. Miyagi's secret foot powder when he thinks Mr. Miyagi is asleep. Of course, Mr. Miyagi, who makes no tricks, is not asleep at all because he's known all along that Daniel was back. Yeah, of course Mr. Miyagi knows what's happening. It's not like it's any secret. Once again, the walls are made of paper. You know, in the very next scene, uh, Daniel, now addicted to Miyagi brand foot powder, is soaking his elbow when Mr. Miyagi comes in to uh, confront Daniel about his extreme solutions to his extreme problems. Daniel is reading a grimoire, a curse book. It came from Terry Silver, so anything is possible. Now he's trying to hide it from Mr. Miyagi because he's been soaking his arm. He's sliding it into a drawer. Please don't get that nice wooden bed wet with foot powder water. Uh, And... Daniel's saying extreme situations require extreme measures. And Mr. Miyagi's like, it doesn't sound like you saying these things. And of course, Daniel's now angry at Mr. Miyagi and and yelling at him and tons of attitude when Mr. Miyagi's reaching out to him. And Daniel's like, if you won't be part of the solution, don't give me a hard time. And then slams the door shut in Mr. Miyagi's face because like the ways of the Sith, Cobra Kai is taking over Daniel's soul. Good, Anakin, good. (laughs) And sadly, you know, Pat Morita... Tears up. Mr. Miyagi is really heartbroken about this. And damn it, if it's it's once again Pat Morita's abilities sell this whole scene, right? They really do. Ah, but uh, enough of that. We got to get back over to Cobra Kai for the next part of the Quicksilver method. And what part of the Quicksilver method are we learning today? I don't know. Daniel was actually trying to do kata, but Terry immediately dismissed it and has Daniel apologize and brings him back over to the punching bag and the dummy so that Daniel can learn to do some real damage with rule number three, which is a man can't see, he can't fight. That's right. So yeah, if a man can't stand, he can't fight. If he can't breathe, he can't fight. If he can't see, he can't fight. If he can't do his taxes, he can't fight. If he can't drive a car, he can't fight. If he can't wear a chicken suit at Halloween, he can't fight. He's wild. The guy's using real legs. It's all in the Quicksilver method. Indeed. Find it wherever ever fine karate books are sold. Exactly. So Terry is showing Daniel on the big uh, punching bag and having him give it a shot. Um, 
so that he causes his eyes to fill up with blood or he's choking on his own blood. There's blood. Anyway, there will be blood because Daniel is now hitting the dummy, as Terry tells him to do, going straight for the head, punching Karate's bad boy Mike Barnes in the face and thus ramming his knuckles through the plywood. And his knuckles, they're bleeding. Oh, yes, there's blood. Terry has made Daniel's knuckles bleed and Terry is looking with great pleasure at the blood on Daniel's knuckles. Telling Daniel, so what? It's blood. Yeah, Terry goes into goes on to say that uh, he wants Barnes to be blinded by his own tears and to choke on his own blood. Gross, Terry. Yeah, well, Daniel's ready to choke on his own blood himself because Terry's getting himself to the point where he will abuse the dummy. He will abuse himself just to look like he did the dummy. And Terry's getting Daniel just amped up to go cause some serious destruction. But now we were cutting to that nightclub where Daniel is going to take Jessica for her going away, right? Coming down the stairs, and Daniel is telling Jessica how great it is with his new pal Terry. He's teaching stuff that he could never do. And Jessica seems to remember that Daniel used to talk that way about Mr. Miyagi. But now instead it's time to rock and roll because we had such a good time hanging out in the 50s in Okinawa. Now we should really do some more. There's a guy who looks suspiciously like Joel Osteen kind of roughing up his girlfriend in the corner and Terry Silver walks over and offers him some money to do a dastardly deed. But Daniel doesn't notice that Terry's there yet. He's just there dancing with Jessica in the middle of the floor while the band plays. We're listening to High Wire now. Not nearly as, uh, it's not near, it's no Bananarama, I'll say that. Yeah, no, I mean, whatever, we'll take it, but. So they're dancing, Terry Silver walks up, Daniel says, what are you doing here? And Terry's like, you told me you'd be here. Meanwhile, the Joel Austin guy comes up to Jessica and puts his hands on her. And Daniel's like, no way. Cuts in. And then the guy pushes Daniel. And so then Daniel punches him. What are you doing? The guy falls down. And of course, as any woman who's in a Karate Kid movie would say, what is wrong with you? What are you nuts? To Daniel, Jessica says, running away. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, the guy that Daniel punched says he broke his nose, is dragged away by security, and Daniel tells Terry, we gotta get out of here, gets him out of there, and Terry is, of course, thrilled. because. It- oh, man, that was beautiful. You didn't even think. Well, Terry has seemingly lured Daniel into this one-man production of Our Town that he's doing in his own head. Why is this happening? Like, <laughs> like, what is the point of this in Terry's, you know, pushing Daniel toward evil? Because Terry's, again, got this look on his face like it's all part of my evil plan. Uh, but back at Jessica's apartment, Daniel's knocking on the door, and she opens it. He's there, of course, to apologize. Oh, he's got blood all over his shirt, too. That's neat. Yeah, Daniel should not have worn a white shirt to a beat-em-up club, but, you know, that's, you know, rookie mistake. Um, yeah, Daniel arrives at uh, Casa de Jessica to apologize to her, but she's busy packing because, again, she's leaving forever at the end of the movie, so... You know, we're getting near that point. Uh, Daniel says... I just didn't want you leaving, thinking that was me. Jessica says... And who was it? Conan the Barbarian? Let me tell you of the days of Conan. Yeah, he says he feels like he's losing control of everything, and Jessica replies... Yeah, the only thing I see you losing control of is your temper. PolitiFact equals true on that one as well. And Daniel's going back and forth and talking about how Mr. Miyagi's probably written him off, and he doesn't know what the hell he's going to do, and Jessica's just sort of trying to pack to go to Ohio, like, what is this guy doing on my daybed? Um, 
But then she decides to take pity on him and sit down next to him and talk to him a little bit about it. She says, no one's written you off. She's That's because she's been the secret karate kid and the whole time Daniel was away. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, she explains that Mr. Miyagi loves Daniel and has faith in him because he told her that. Daniel is really addicted to his own self-loathing. This is a problem. Mr. Miyagi, he loves you. He has faith in you. He told me. Daniel, much like a Frankenstein, has become horrified at what he has become and has run off into the night Mm -hmm. to confess to Jessica. Fire, no good. But of course she gives him a kiss on the cheek and tells him, You'll do fine. You just, you just gotta do it. And that's it for Jessica Andrews. Yeah, that's a production wrap on Jessica Andrews. She did a good job bringing the reality effect to the show, which otherwise made no sense. And also, you know, setting a tradition for Amanda LaRusso to follow, calling out the fact that a lot of Daniel's ideas are bullshit. But it's okay, because she asked Daniel to send her a Christmas card, and he says he will. And I have no doubt that he does. I bet she even gets, like, LaRusso auto gift cards. Oh, for sure. To this day. For sure. Anyway, he sticks his head back in and thanks her. And there he is, the sweet Daniel LaRusso we all remember. He yep. just has to he just has to come and do his own. Exactly. But he's already freaking out again back at Mr. Miyagi's house. I'm the guy who broke his nose. I just need to talk to him. I need to tell him that I'm sorry. I gotta tell him that I wanna Daniel again trying to get the narrative of his life under control. Uh we're back at Mr. Miyagi's little trees where he's on the phone feverishly trying to apologize to guy who terry paid to get his face punched in yeah he's angry 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 that he can't get the guy's name because he's just certain he's in the hospital or what have you and mr miyagi is there daniel's you know going back and forth just ranting and raving about how his sweatshirt's got the guy's blood in him because everything mr miyagi taught him he did the opposite daniel is like all these dudes who get in trouble in the media and then in write long self-flagellating apologies because they think the self-flagellation is what shows their growth rather than actually saying i'm sorry and changing their behavior and it's my fault it's all my fault i did it myself like daniel is so into his shame at this time and as i'll argue during our analysis this gives the cobra kai showrunners just tons of material to work on to work with but you know mr miyagi is is taking it all in stride because daniel's back and you know mr miyagi's got perspective part of the reason is because his very cool gardener's tape has helped to repair the bonsai tree bonsai that's right. The official Miyagi-Do bonsai tree is back in business after some TLC from Mr. Miyagi. Because it has a strong root. Now, I just want to point out that this tree from the old country that is regenerated, restoring the hope of a family, you know, Robert Mark came and used that again to great effect when writing and co-writing A Walk in the Clouds with Keanu Reeves. Oh, that's right. Right? He, like, has the root that saves the whole thing. So this strong root thing, it means a lot to Mark Kamen. It's also really important in a lot of martial arts, right? The idea of the root mm-hmm. that grounds your practice. So it's, you know, it is also a long-running Easter egg in Cobra Kai for good reason, for good philosophical reason. But now, despite having assured Daniel that things are okay, Daniel still can't let it go. He's still so amped. It well, but I just want to tell him it's over. Did not wait for tomorrow? Well, no, I'll feel better if I get over with now, okay? You like Miyagi? Come help you. That he's going to go tell Mr. Silver now that he can't train with him anymore. And even though Mr. Miyagi offers to go with him, he doesn't. I know. Daniel, again, 
as though he has no narrative control over his own life, decides that it can't wait till tomorrow. He has to go confront Terry Silver right now at Cobra Kai headquarters right now. And uh, no good will come of this. The door Daniel doesn't say o- sensei anymore. Terry's thought of every detail. <laughs> so Daniel arrives back at OG Cobra Kai headquarters. Hello? It's dark in there. It's dark, except for some sort of activity in the back. Hello? There's some dim lights. There's some murmuring. Silver. There's also some construction on the on the mirrors and some paint rollers and yeah, such. Yeah, we're like... remodeling because uh, apparently Terry's got a franchise, right? Indeed. You know, Daniel's come to tell Terry that he's thought about some things, and he's decided not to defend his title. That's heightening, right? I think Terry actually yeah. engineered this. And Daniel insincerely says, you've been great. I mean, he hasn't been great, but Daniel does say, honestly, I know when I hit that guy, it's not me. But, you know, being Daniel with his own personal sense of honor. I was high on that Cobra Kai. He, <laughs> wow. He figured he owed him at least that. And and Terry responds that. You owe me a lot more than that, Danny boy. He's going to defend. And now here comes the real Terry Silver, the one that we've always known was lurking in there. Daniel being, being ever Daniel says that, you know, you can't tell me what I, you can't tell me what to do. You can't make me do something I don't want to do. Indeed. Which is the thesis of this entire goddamn movie. Exactly. It sure is. Still no visible camera and all the mirrors as Terry walks around in a circle telling Daniel, let's show you what I'm talking about. And then boom, here comes <gasps> Mike Barnes. Uh-oh. Mike Barnes? The bad boy of karate? The challenger, Mike Barnes! Mike Barnes. Mr. Silver, you just bought yourself a champion. Mike Barnes. You. You can dream about me. Yeah, Mike Barnes has been there the whole time, and he's already dressed up in a gi waiting to kick the crap out of Daniel. And they're surrounding Daniel, uh, telling him that, you know... Either you fight one fight on one day, or you fight every for the rest of your life. Either fight us one-on-one, or you fight us all at once. What's it going to be? Oh, and then... Just as Daniel reaches the door, we get one of the biggest jump scares of the 80s. And again, this is a decade that gave us both Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. John Kreese jumps out with a truly frightening grimace yelling boo at Daniel. Yeah. And so now three on one ain't no fun as Mike Barnes starts wailing on Daniel. Daniel runs to the door and Terry sends Mike Barnes after him. But then boom. As Kreese and Terry laugh together about Daniel peeing in his pants, uh, there's a grunt and a scream. The door opens and Mr. Miyagi appears. Yes. Mr. Miyagi not only appears, but he throws Barnes through the front door. (laughs) And Mike Barnes actually looks legitimately scared. He's adjusting his black belt in some anxiety. So, yeah. So now here we are in one of the biggest fights of all, which is Barnes and Kreese. And Silver versus Miyagi. Uh, Miyagi immediately dispatches with Barnes, throwing him up against the light panel, which then gives the whole room kind of like this uh, more dramatic lighting for this final fight where uh, we've got Kreese versus Miyagi, a fight that we wanted to see probably for about three movies now, right? That's right. That's right. And the stunt people are just killing it. At least Pat Morita's stunt guy is. Uh, But he he gets Kreese to the ground. And now Terry Silver is waving his hands and making noises that sound like wah, which is one of the few things I remember from the original time that I watched this movie. And Terry's egging him on, saying, let's see how good you really are. Well, Mr. Miyagi uh, throws Terry up against the wall, and Daniel looks on as Mr. Miyagi prepares to clean house with him. Don't look too closely if you're looking at this in HD, or you will see that that is not Pat Morita in some of these key scenes. Anyway, now we have Terry just sort of dancing around Mr. Miyagi, again doing some little 
little curly cues and flourishes. Mr. Miyagi continually drops him. Uh, it's a pretty wild scene as Terry Silver has at least a foot of height on Pat Morita. But Pat Morita still manages to throw him into the mirror with a paint can overhead. Setting off uh, some symbolism that would then come back to greet us in the opening episode of Cobra Kai. And Mr. Miyagi answers him with a mocking... Waving his hands. Yeah, that's. Uh, I Once feel again, like that's a little bit of uh, the Pat Morita shining through as he's kind of mocking Terry Silver's mocking him earlier. Exactly. It's a meta-mocking. It's a meta-mocking that, that only Mr. Miyagi would be capable of. While Terry Silver screams that John Kreese is true karate and Mr. Miyagi won't even be a memory. I feel like that's a much bigger threat than anything that Daniel's facing is this idea that Terry Silver's going to use his money to make Cobra Kai like the only version of karate that gets taught in the valley like like that's a thread they could have actually followed through on in this movie and then chose not to even though these two jerks are standing there laughing and still able to kick the crap out of them they they linger long enough at the shadows by the door for daniel to ask mr miyagi if he will train him and mr miyagi says yes but it's all worth it because then we get again a lovely training sequence that's right out by the water i think this is the last time that we ever see Daniel and Mr. Miyagi train together and it's also a montage of the Cobra Kai's training as well right well that's right so this is the third Karate Kid movie right we gotta we now gotta up the ante here with a classic wonderful Karate Kid montage we've got Mr. Miyagi and Daniel out on the LA beach uh, you know they're doing these nice long shots with the birds and stuff in the background as they do their kata but we're kind of cross-cutting with the gang back at OG Cobra Kai being just, you know, brutal and awful with each other. So we're kind of getting a little bit of everything, right? Oh, and then the montage ends with this really sweet shot of Miyagi and Daniel in the golden hour in the background, and then they kind of cross-fade, and you see the Miyagi bonsai in the foreground and it's kind of lit in this golden light. John Adelson, baby. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you wanted to see. So it's really, it's really interesting to see the montage played out in this way with the opposites against each other. Um, And then, but we don't, and and the, the war versus peace, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like the, the fighting at Cobra Kai is very intense while the, the kata that Daniel and Mr. Miyagi are doing is very meditative. And then, you know, they use that crossfade with the tree in the, the foreground to then fade into Devil's Cauldron again, and we have Mr. Miyagi and Daniel on their ropes together. Mr. Miyagi, of course, is old hat at the ropes course, right? Like, he's chill, they're planting the tree, they're wishing it the best, Uh, they're in sync together. Uh, Mr. Miyagi says it's a good spot, and he's somehow miraculously able to remove that, I guess it was plastic all along that it was holding the tree together. That was a little tree band-aid. No sign of the break at all. Daniel's giving a little uh, canteen water, and Mr. Miyagi is saying, Daniel, sir. This bonsai have strong root. Same, same you. Aw, oh, Mr. Miyagi, where was this movie for the last hour? Mr. Miyagi says, you know, the, choo- the tree can choose how it's growing. You choose how you're going to grow. And that he has great faith in him. This scene is so great. Like, honestly, y'all, I need a fan cut of this film. Um, oh, a fan cut of this movie would be 15 minutes long. That's okay. That would be the best 15 <laughs> minutes. Uh, but then again, Cobra Kai would have less to go on in making their plots, right? As I will say, Mr. Miyagi, however, bows to the bonsai tree and wishes it his best. And then, you know, heads back up on the ropes. Well, Daniel, I don't know how he's adept at the ropes now, but sure. Uh, I mean, they've practiced at least once. I guess that's enough. 
I mean, yeah, at least Mr. Miyagi's not going to cut his rope. He heads up. That's true. And again, without Barnes and and company there to threaten them, which Barnes easily could have done. Like, they they have had no problem following Daniel around up to this point. Yeah, Daniel bowing to the tree in his own way. It's really really sweet because it shows that that for Daniel, I think the the bonsai tree is the path back to his root. And, And Ralph Macho does a good job looking moved and saying goodbye to the tree. Although, you know, again, another fan theory I have is that Daniel took a cutting from that tree when he made Mr. Miyagi's uh grave planting oh for sure yeah oh my gosh suddenly we are already at the all valley championship yep and we're back yes for the uh which one is this this is the like 42nd annual all valley i don't know i don't know terry silver's wearing a a jacket with one of those silk scarves that makes it look like he just came in from monte carlo and he increased her on the sideline of one and they're doing little fist bumps amongst themselves as Barnes continues to score. And, of course, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel don't have to do anything because Daniel's only defending. Uh, True. But, but Mike Barnes tells him, You're next to so I own your ass. Of course, Mike Barnes has got the full-on Cobra Kai gi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Johnson's back as referee. Of course he is. New guy as the announcer. Do not know who announcer, this is. Yeah. yeah. Terry... Terry. Terry now dropping any pretense of uh, the nice guy, one-man show persona that he's been workshopping with Daniel. He's the president of Dynatox Industries and preparing for a 2020 presidential run. That's right. Well, he's got his nice little uh, rich guy cravat. And now he's pretending to be a philanthropist, saying that... If you get, you give. I'm not sure, but he says that... For the last 20 years, I've gotten from karate. I've gotten discipline, health, self-confidence inner peace yeah with cobra kai he's got the biggest karate he's got the best karate he's got the most inner peace that anybody's ever had so much winning in this karate believe me he's the best at karate and so he's gonna have a partnership with you know the best karate man he's ever known sensei john kreese which of course has john kreese pumping his fist and looking very pleased with himself Mm -hmm. and daniel is ranting and raving off to the side as Mr. Miyagi nods, utterly unsurprised by what is happening, and Terry announces his plans to franchise with a chain of Cobra Kai dojos where people can come learn the same values that he learned. Honest, compassion, and fair play. You know, the Quicksilver method. He's really just saying this to upset Daniel, as well as take advantage where he can, right? I mean, that's yeah. the deal. His brand is chaos, and then he'll reap the profits because he's already got toxic waste. You know, what yeah. more do you need? Well, you know, Terry Silver, he's got all the power and money in the world, so his best chance at victory is attacking his opponent's ersatz son. You know, Terry Silver is off to the sidelines telling Mike Barnes that he has to, you know, gain a point, then lose a point. They want to draw it out for the, for the full three minutes so that he's, you know, he puts Daniel really in pain. I want him to experience pain. First he suffers, then he suffers some more. He wants Daniel to suffer, and Kreese is totally down with this. So Mike jumps into the ring. He's pumping his fist back and forth. Um, you know, Daniel is already greeted as a champion, and Mr. Miyagi looks on proudly. And this still looks like it's going to be a bloodbath to me. Bloodbath, indeed. You know, this is a battle for the soul of the valley in many ways. Once again. And, and you have the rules, of course, laid out that the first person to get three points without losing them over and over again, the first person to get three points and not lose them wins the thing. So three points three minutes at the end of the three minutes the championship match will go into dun 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 oh yeah well there's another Sudden death overtime 
Well, yeah, so there's, a again, another new convenient rule this year, which is that not only does Daniel not have to fight in the other portions of the tournament, but if there's no winner at the end of the three minutes, we go into sudden death overtime. Who is making these rule changes? I don't know. It seems like they're making them up on the fly just to make things more difficult for Daniel. Mike Barnes is already being very aggressive, just sort of, you know, using his his legs to just completely propel Daniel off of the court, as it were. Um, and Terry Silver throwing around ethnic slurs toward Mr. Miyagi as John Kreese laughs along. Meanwhile, Daniel ex- successfully dodges Mike Barnes only to try and kick him and get dropped for it. Uh, and then, of course, Snake Guy runs on and tries to heckle Daniel, but Pat Johnson's got Daniel's back because he knows better. Uh, and Mike Barnes will be disqualified if he kicks Daniel in the groin again. Oh, oh that's going to cost him his previous point. So the score is 0-0, zero, zero, and it's working out very well because even though Mike Barnes looks like he's taking a loss, he's really making Terry Silver happy so he can get that 50% share in the Cobra Kai dojos. Fair. I mean, the, I mean, yeah, Terry Silver's really trying to use Mike as an Ivan Drago here, right? The whole idea is... I must break you. It's interesting. Daniel has dodged uh, Mike Barnes in a way that looked like Mr. Miyagi dodging crease by those cars, except it was much faster. Daniel sort of bobbed and weaved there a little bit. Daniel is taking a pounding, but he's still getting up for more. And even though you know Mike Barnes is, is quite sure of himself, Daniel does get the drop on him, then they have to break. Um, and of course, Mike Barnes hits Daniel before they're both on their lines. And so, you know, he's courting disqualification, and that illegal punch is going to cost him a point. But again, this is all part of the plan. Like, they're just stringing him along. The referee keeps giving Mike Barnes one more chance, despite the fact that Barnes just keeps flouting the rules. Who does that? So they're in their fighting positions. They're ready to go. And Mike Barnes comes for Daniel, chases him off the thing, and, you know, right into Terry Silver's waiting arms where he tells him the real pain begins. As Chris again, laughs along. Really, there's not much that Cove has to do here but laugh along and look delighted, which, of course, Cove is delighted to do. Indeed. Uh, I, I, once again, in the moments of extreme threat, people start calling Daniel Danny and Danny Boy. Oh, my gosh. Mike Barnes just kicked the living crap out of Daniel, charged him across the floor, and Daniel's rolling around. I think it, it went for his lower back. Um, so like, like his hip flexor or something in the, you know, where it connects there. He's looking like he's in big trouble. Um, no points scored though. You know, Terry has a moment to appreciate the beauty of the situation of watching Daniel's pain. And Mike Barnes just socks Daniel repeatedly. So much so that it looks more like a wrestling match as Pat Johnson tells him they have to break. You know, while all this is going on, Daniel's just getting worn down over and over again. We're not really seeing much of Mr. Miyagi here, huh? I mean, that's Mr. Miyagi's whole style. I mean, to his credit, like, that is consistent with how he's been in the first two movies. He's very zen. He tends to hang back and uh, let Daniel learn on his own, let's say. Uh... Yeah, but and so, only in the, these moments where things get extreme does Mr. Miyagi come in like oh just dear. now. So yeah, yeah, the match has ended and it's time for sudden death overtime and Daniel's on the ground saying he's afraid and they have to go. And Mr. Miyagi says, no, no, you have to, you have to fight because... It's okay to lose to opponent, must not lose to fear. And this is it. This is where Daniel admits that he's afraid, right? In a sense, Daniel's arc has been kind of muddy. But we see now that that it was really key for him to admit his fear. Miyagi comes in and 
I think this is a great point that Miyagi makes, which is that fear is the mind killer. Fear is a little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. Miyagi has not read Dune lately, so he's just telling Daniel he's got to let the karate out, and he gets away so that Daniel can do that, but then as Daniel's about to get up, Mike Barnes over, comes over and just starts telling Daniel what a loser he is. bigoted remarks just like all this horrible stuff and Mr. Miyagi looks on and Daniel has a choice right which voice is he going to listen to and it's not like Mr. Miyagi is particularly beatific in this moment he's just resigned he bows to Daniel like this is a respect thing like you're going to do this for your own self-respect you got this Daniel and then what Daniel does is most unexpected because in this sudden death overtime Barnes charges just in time to see Daniel move, and what Daniel is doing isn't attacking. He's doing the kata, the very special Miyagi-Do kata that he learned. As Sean Cannon said not too long ago on Twitter, I was really baffled by this kata. Like, I had no idea, right? And he comes for Daniel, thinking it's going to be easy to get the point, but Daniel throw, you know, flips him and drops him. And Mr. Miyagi smiles in relief as the crowd goes wild, and John Kreese looks on in shock. Terry Silver storms off, and Kreese is, I don't know what he's doing. He's like threatening people in the crowd. Well, the, the crowd, knowing that, uh, knowing instinctively that Cobra Kai is BS, they start throwing the free Cobra Kai t-shirts back at Terry and Kreese. Oh, yeah, and Kreese just kind of grabs one and goes back into the crowd and lunges like he's going to start uh, attacking people in the crowd. I like I like John Avildsen. Once again, the Capra-esque nature of John Avildsen. It's like, he's like, no, these people would not accept swag from jerks. That's right. They would rather have no shirt. But as we say that, we see Mr. Miyagi and Daniel celebrating uh, hugging because the film is over. So rather than yes. panning in on Mr. Miyagi, smiling in a still at Daniel, we see the last shot of them hugging together. A nice hug. A nice yeah. hug. Nice hug. They are now on equal footing, at least, or so we were meant to believe at the end of this show. And yes, equal footing is a great way to put it. And with that, we have reached the conclusion of The Karate Kid Part 3. Keep waiting for the episode title, but that is the title. That is the title. Uh, wow, we we made it, Colin. We did it. We did it, Jenny. So now I'm going to ask you the traditional question that I ask at the end of these things, which is, what did you think of this movie, Jenny? Oh my God, I was really not looking forward to this because Terry Silver. I don't think there's a villain in cinema that I hate more than Terry Silver. I was telling some of our friends in the fandom that I I hate Terry Silver so much that this is true. I had to watch this movie in chunks when we were preparing to tape before, you know, watching it while taping. Yes. Um, and I was really apprehensive about it. As you know, I have not been able to listen to other people's recaps of it because I hadn't done my own and I still couldn't do it. But now that we're here, I have to say I am thrilled having seen it again. I got to number one because I know what happens in it, you know, and I rewatch it now. I appreciate on another level the craftsmanship that people brought into a movie that has such a shitty, like such a such a mm. shitty set of problems. You know, like it's a forced 
uh, trilogy that really shouldn't have existed and they didn't get to do the project they wanted. They had a disagreement with Jerry Weintraub as to how they should do it. With all that in mind, people brought their own their own game. And ha, I'm looking at the credits and that was Fumio Demura playing Mr. Miyagi again. Anyway, uh, as a stunt double. Um, anyway, I just, I really am impressed by it. And, but more than that, I am impressed by how the showrunners of Cobra Kai and their writing team and, and their EPs used the shortcomings of this production to create entire plot arcs for an entire new series of mm. content. Like it's really impressive because you can't miss just how many things there are in this film that become Cobra Kai Easter eggs. Fair. What about you, Colin? What are your thoughts? Bafflement mostly. <laughs> I mean, I think... not as generous as I am. <laughs> I mean, I don't like to think that there's any such thing as a completely bad movie. I think that's reductive because mm -hmm. people do work on these things and they work on them quite hard. And I appreciate that effort, uh, no matter how exquisite or flawed or oftentimes both mm -hmm. that effort is. I think what has happened in this case, you know, I, I think it's interesting that you bring up the idea of a flawed trilogy because again, after the unexpected success of The Karate Kid, the success of the sequel, it would seem that a third chapter would be inevitable, right? Like mm -hmm. they would want to come in and come back and do more and, you know, expand the universe more. That seems like a natural fit. And that's exactly what they eventually got to a point where they could do with the Cobra Kai TV show, right? Like they were are able to expand the universe, give us another generation of Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai, and that is all wonderful. And it's all built on the bricks of these first three or four movies, depending on the breaks. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I think there is stuff in Karate Kid 3 that's salvageable. Like you can see the bones of something in it like the bones of it are solid i just think some of the choices went left when they could have gone right or vice versa right so like there's some ideas that really work like the whole idea of daniel getting lured away to join cobra kai because again you know to use a star wars metaphor like he's lured away by the quick and easy path you know that that could have been something like you could have built a whole movie on that but it just the way they've set it up in this movie is weird and flawed and the whole idea of setting up dramatic stakes should be that the consequences should feel unavoidable yeah and they never quite get to that point in this movie like the way they constructed the danger or the threat to daniel isn't through a mistake daniel made or through some circumstances that came on him unexpectedly it's because Kreese wanted revenge, but he didn't want to get it himself. Like, I, again, the whole idea of Terry Silver is strange because, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's a neat idea to introduce a completely new villain in the third chapter. But all Terry is is a substitute for Kreese. I mean, they basically say it in the movie in the beginning, like Kreese comes in and is like, OK, I'm going to take up this revenge for you. Like I'm going to be your revenge proxy. 
And that's a very weird place to start off of with any character. Because, yeah. again, what does Terry care about Daniel or Mr. Miyagi other than the fact that they got one over on Kreese? I know. It, it's it's very strange. Like, the all the choices start from a place of genuinely wanting to do something interesting, but they wind up in such a different place than you would ever expect them to be. Yeah. Again, the whole, all the dramatic stakes are based around trying to make Daniel do something that the first two movies have established that his character is not going to do. And again, like the climax of the movie isn't Daniel being forced into a situation where he has no choice but to be in the tournament. The whole movie is like him constantly having to be coerced to choose to be in the tournament. It's, it's, not, kind of it's like, not that he never feels like he doesn't have a choice. It's that people keep kind of twisting his arm and he keeps like being like, eh, okay, okay. Like it, it's so it's weird. It's almost like Ralph Macchio having to make the Karate Kid part three, even though none of them were that thrilled with where it was going. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, they say in the movie, it's like you can't make someone do something they don't want to do yet. The whole premise of the movie is built around trying to make Daniel do something he doesn't want to do. That's a very weird narrative puzzle to build your movie around. It's really interesting because one of the main themes is like, Daniel, figure out what you want to do. Daniel, find your way. And Daniel's like, no, I have this received narrative or this received narrative or this guy is just like wrecking stuff. So I got to go do a thing. Right. It's like there are so many other cool choices that they could have made that would have gotten them to the same place. I keep thinking about the Karate Kid 3 that could have been but never was. Like, you mean like if, the one in which Jessica Andrews is actually the real Karate Kid? Or the idea that maybe Daniel does go to college in the first act, but then he finds himself kind of right back in the same situation he was in in high school where he's the weirdo, he's the odd kid out, and he starts getting picked on again. And it's like he sees that even though he he's supposed to have a new beginning his his life finds himself right back in this cycle and that's why he has to like find his way maybe terry's there maybe terry's the dean of the school right yeah and you know like you know the, it, there's so many things that could have happened that didn't maybe you need an account at archive of our own uh, maybe I do, but maybe I'm busy working on my own things. <laughs> sure. Okay. I mean, so I, I feel like there's there's another more alongside that and the, the confusion surrounding Daniel's arc, you know, which is what is Daniel's real arc? What it, is it learn to become a pacifist like Mr. Miyagi? Is it learn to be honest about your fear, learn to confront your fear? It's like all these different things at once and it's it's muddled and murky. Again, gives ample plot fodder to the Cobra Kai showrunners. But the problem also is that they don't have an arc for Mr. Miyagi, right? The Karate Kid Part One, both Daniel and Mr. Miyagi had arcs. They were they were co stars of that film. You know, or as mm -hmm. Ralph says, you know, Pat was my partner in that franchise. And the same thing in Karate Kid Part 2. Like, they were both on a journey. Mm -hmm. With Mr. Miyagi, it was to stand up to his friend and to figure out how to own his choices and, 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 and inhabit his 
you know, his father's shoes, even with the risk of Sato. And for Daniel, you know, Daniel's arc was much more muted, but it was there. You know, it was come along. It was help Mr. Miyagi. It was to kind of make his own way and to learn about a new place. Mm-hmm. You know, he was sort of in a, in a picaresque, like I'm gonna, I'm on a journey learning these things. And and frankly, now that I think about it too, I understand even more Mr. Miyagi's confusion about why Daniel, why would he even want to go to the tournament? Because after you've kicked ass in an ancient Okinawan fortress, literally saving the girl, why would you care about the All Valley Championship? There's a serious imbalance between their plot arcs and and it takes away Mr. Miyagi's character dimensionality, but neither of them really have dimension as characters in this. We just know that they have had it and that they're very good actors who in a few epic scenes can restore our memory of their acting and, and they're inhabiting those roles in much more uh, dimensional ways. There are scenes together in this movie where they do sell it and it does feel like the previous two movies again. The amount of effort to get there and the whole, you know, risk versus effort proposition there is is pretty daunting because it's like by the time the scenes that we get that are like that are so few and far between. And again, it just makes me wish that for a Karate Kid 3 that never was where it's like, okay, Maybe Mr. Miyagi and Daniel are back in California, but now, you know, without the apartment complex to take care of and without his own business, like Mr. Miyagi is feeling kind of adrift, like he misses Japan, he misses being with UK, like, you know, maybe at the end of this movie he decides to move back to Japan or he decides to start this whole new chapter of his life. Maybe the bonsai tree store is his idea. Maybe, or maybe he decides to go into the foot powder business <laughs> and he like, maybe he starts to lose sight of what's important to him, which is Daniel. Like maybe they start to drift apart in the third one. And then the Can't third act, that, but, but, I agree but again, for setting up a narrative, this. exactly. Yes. But for setting up a narrative stakes, that's pretty compelling because then that makes it feel so good when they get back together in that third act. Yeah. I mean, or there's a way in which that Daniel is at a threat that Mr. Miyagi doesn't let Daniel know about, you know, or, you know, Daniel's under a threat that Mr. Miyagi knows and Daniel doesn't know. Right. Which would be a new, twist where Mr. Miyagi, you know, I don't know. They're like you said, there are just plenty of ways in which they could have pushed it further. And clearly they were in producing this, they were probably asked to parallel other films at the time. Right. I mean, Terry Silver is a textbook villain. Like, I mean, we mentioned Batman 89. He could have also been a villain in a RoboCop movie. He could have been a villain in a, in a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Like yeah. the possibilities would have been en- endless for that character in other movies. Exactly. But he felt weirdly out of place in Karate Kid. Yeah. Because the villains in the, in the Karate Kid franchise are grounded in real cultural contexts. Right. I mean, you know, Johnny Lawrence, even without the Cobra Kai series, was a villain whose role and inhumanity was evident. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was clear how he got there. It was clear that he was an entitled dude who, you know, had a sexist claim on Allie and then all these things. And But then when given the opportunity to see that this situation was wrong, he, you know, he was hesitant. And he was sort of a, in this way, at least a victim of John Kreese, right? Yeah. Uh, and the, with Chosen, we see, even though there's a little less elaboration 
about masculinity in Japan, we see the ways in which that he's trying to live up to the tough guy pressure of Sato, mm-hmm. right? And that he's being a tough guy himself. And it's, again, like a kind of a Johnny Lawrence situation. But this, like, I, there's just nothing, you know? Yeah. There's just nothing. But again, I see the seeds of something that could have worked, especially in that last act where Terry Silver's talking about like franchising Cobra Kai and making it the only style of karate in the valley. Like, again, I see a better Karate Kid 3 movie to where maybe that is the main threat. Maybe Kreese has moved away, but Silver like buys the rights to Cobra Kai and still wants to franchise it. And maybe he still buys you know, a karate champion in Mike Barnes, and maybe they don't go after Mr. Miyagi and Daniel directly, but as, like, Cobra Kai begins to become more popular, like, Miyagi starts seeing, like, more kids on the street in, like, Cobra Kai shirts, and maybe they're starting to, like, rough up people outside of, like, Mr. Miyagi's little trees or something. Wait, are you saying the plot of Cobra Kai happens, but in the 80s? (laughs) I mean, yeah, that could be, that could have been the existential threat in both part one and part two like Miyagi is a pacifist right yes he will not fight and he only chooses to fight under the most extreme circumstances and again and on if Halloween it, if it was and on Halloween and if it was a a situation that later kind of happens in the Cobra Kai TV series where it's like Miyagi sees Cobra Kai beginning to kind of take over and like this mentality and he sees the writing on the wall that you know, Silver and Mike Barnes, the bad boy of karate, are going to take over the valley. He's like, Daniel, I'm sorry, but we got to saddle up and we got to get you back in that tournament one more time. And maybe it's this, maybe it's a Back to the Future 3 situation where the roles are kind of reversed and Daniel doesn't want to fight. And it's Miyagi who then has to make the case for standing up for something, you know, again. And then Mr. Miyagi gets a Skytrain. And then Mr. Miyagi gets a skytrain at the end. You know, we're just kind of workshopping fan fiction, but it kind of goes back to the point of like, you can kind of see that what they've filmed and put on screen felt like maybe a third draft and they could have done like a couple more drafts and got it to where it needed to be to feel like a really complete full, you know, movie trilogy. And they just never quite got there. No, no. And they knew it too. I think that's the other thing that's kind of a bummer. Okay. I have one more question. Uh, And also, I just want to remark, y'all, in our office, we have a whiteboard that says Days Without Spaceballs reference, and it's zero. Truly, Spaceballs is... We have a GIF of it available as well. We do. Uh, Or a GIF, depending on your religious persuasion. And it's true that Spaceballs is the film that we quote most of all, I think, maybe. I mean, we also quote a lot of Star Trek, Star Wars, and The Karate Kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that Spaceballs is probably the one that is throughout the whole day. But, you know, whenever we're talking... Miyagi verse. We almost need a days with that Back to the Future when we're doing serious Miyagi verse talk because there's just like, once again and, and and multiple podcasts have said it. You know. Yeah, I think some of the other podcasts. We all are in up. agreement. Cobra Kai think Companion. The showrunners the... are also in it. Like this is it's Back to the Future. So it's it's just really strange. Like Marty and Daniel do feel cut from the same cloth. I think that's what people are kind of picking up on. And and Doc and Miyagi are also kind of like they're two weird they're, guys. They're oddball alone. mentors. Yeah, and they're plucky but determined. They're not literally their sons, but they're definitely you know there's you know there's definitely a paternal relationship there that people lock into. And, and Elizabeth like, Shue. So and like Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, exactly. It all connects. And '80s villainy. I mean, I mean, Classic let's not forget that Back to the Future Two is as ridiculous in its own way as Karate Kid Three is. 
That's true. And they both have the same kind of person who seems like the 45th president of the United States. I mean, you know. So I have one final question, then we must wrap it up because we've been going on for over two hours. Uh, And that is, I'm curious, how did Cobra Kai mine this for arcs and or how did Cobra Kai improve this movie? I I mean, you pointed out that I kind of got there in my in my, you know, off the cuff remarks, which is Cobra Kai took some of the natural places that Karate Kid 3 felt like it could have gone. And they just kind of built on those bones instead of silver, you know, franchising Cobra Kai and taking over the valley. Johnny was able to do that. And that feels a lot more natural because Johnny was Crease's student. He had a direct relationship and there's a direct correlation between Johnny and Crease and Daniel and Miyagi that feels natural and it all dovetails into each other. They're sure they're yin and yang. It all works. So that's the improvement. That's the improvement, for sure. Like I really believe that Cobra Kai mined most of its arcs from this movie. I mean, obviously, there's the the fathers and sons stuff. There's the mm-hmm. the underdog story. There's the the immigrant narrative, and that is from the original Karate Kid film and the second one. But this one has the toxic masculinity angle. That true. You know, I feel also that we learn a lot. I think we learn the most about Crease in this movie yeah. than we learn about anything else. And, and Kreese, Cobra Kai's philosophy. Right. And Crease and, and Cobra Kai's philosophy and that stuff all flows mostly out of this movie. So yeah. a lot of that mythology is mined directly from here. Yeah. And expanded upon. And I think also that because this movie is camp in a way that the other movies are not. Uh, it creates that comic potential that these that the Cobra Kai showrunners with their own background were able to really actualize, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, to mention another franchise, one thing that I had to say about The Last Jedi, which some people were surprised because I was not a fan of the Star Wars prequel trilogy, especially after it came out. Uh, I think it's a great story, but kind of like a bad his- History Channel reenactment of itself. When The Last Jedi came out, it was the first one of the new movies. I loved the story in The Last Jedi, but that's just me. Everyone's entitled to their own, you know. But I thought it was the first one that managed to tonally unite the feel of the old trilogy, the the polish of the new trilogy, and the kind of weird campy moments of the prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's the same thing with this film, that this film gives Cobra Kai room to be silly. And it also, you know, solidifies that murals are very important in the Miyagi-verse. There's always a mural and there's mm-hmm. always a montage. Yes. Right? Like the montage is real here. And that is what sets up a lot of the technique that they use in Cobra Kai for quickly establishing the tone and the the attitude of different characters and different groups. I agree with that. I think you've also hit upon something that I want to kind of tag as well, which is this idea of uniting the old narrative and a new narrative, and then also kind of weaving in the meta. Yeah. Which is something that modern reboots do really well. Whether you're talking about continuations like The Last Jedi or what they're doing with new Star Trek shows, or what they're doing with James Bond movies or Marvel movies. It's taking the camp and synthesizing it in with new elements to make something that fe- that still feels true, right? Yep. Like, I think that's the idea that kind of flows through a lot of modern narratives is... You know, you don't have to 
slavishly recreate something to continue it. That's right? right. You can marry it. You can infuse new elements into it. As long as it continues to feel like the old thing, mm-hmm. that's the important thing. It doesn't have to be exact. It doesn't have to be shot on the same film. It doesn't have to have the same actors. Some people think it does, but I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. What really makes it work is that it right. feels... The The trick is to making it feel like the old thing. I think that's what Cobra Kai does really well. Yeah. And I think that's where part three let us down. Yeah. In terms of feeling like itself. Yeah. And it's kind of like when, when Star Wars movies aren't good, like like the, the weak moments of the prequel trilogy, a couple of moments of Rise of Skywalker, although I loved uh, Force Awakens. But when it's like when these major, major tentpole movies suddenly aren't as good as they were. Right. And in some key areas, it's almost like you're watching a, a weird dream of it that isn't quite the same. Yeah. Um, but it's a real success story for this franchise, for the Miyagi-verse, that we get to see... You know, it's not like they ha- Star Wars Holiday specialed this. Like, they want to make uh, Karate Kid Part 3 a part of their deal because it gives them so much story potential to explore what the hell went wrong with Daniel mm-hmm. uh, as well as Johnny. And so it's a, it's lucky that we're getting to talk about this this show. <laughs> this, yeah. And this No, in a weird franchise. way, this is a good setup before we go into Cobra Kai Season 3 because I think, for better or for worse, this is where we see our characters at their most flawed or at least Daniel. And so, yeah, this is what they build on in Cobra Kai. And I think we have not heard the last of this mythology, specifically from part three, although I'm sure part two is going to get referenced a lot in, uh, yeah, <laughs> in it season is. three as well. Well, uh, they're, they're all, they're fans of the mix of, of the mix em ups, right? Like we mm-hmm. did, we did some elements of one, two and three and one. And then no, the second season felt very Karate Kid 3 in terms of just the looming evil. Mm-hmm. And now season three will give us some of Karate Kid part two. Well, we did it. I think we've done it. Yes, we've broken down everything you could possibly ever say about Karate Kid 3. I'm sure Watch Party could say a few more things. Uh, and I'm sure we will. Maybe we will revisit some of these points. I am really proud that like Daniel LaRusso, I faced my fears and rewatched the Karate Kid Part 3. Fair. Um, Can you you do the same for the next Karate Kid? We'll see. (laughs) Okay. I might need some special foot powder. Okay. In order to survive that. Yeah, let's get you special foot powder and then we'll be back. But, you know, that might give us a clue as to Hawk's origin story. It might. Because there's a hawk. Wink. There is a hawk in there, technically. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay, I'll drop one in. Thank you. Yes. Um, But anyway, until next time... I've been Colin Kennedy. I've been Jenny Carlson. And we'll see you around the Miyagiverse. See you around the Miyagiverse. This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter. And wherever you download podcasts.